Each man kills the thing he loves. Each man kills the thing he loves. Da 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 da. Each man kills the thing he loves. Each man kills the thing he loves. Da 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 da. Some do it with a bitter look. Some with a flattering word. The coward does it with a kiss. The brave man with a sword. With a sword. With a sword. Each man kills a thing he loves. Each man kills a thing he loves. Da 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 da. Each man kills a thing he loves. Each man kills a thing he loves. Da 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 da. Some kill their love when they are young, and some when they are old. Some strangle with the hands of lust. Some with the hands of gold. The kindest use a knife because the dead so soon grow cold. Each man kills the thing he loves. Each man kills the thing he loves. Da 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 da. Each man kills the thing he loves. Each man kills the thing he loves. Da 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 da. Some love too little, some too long. Some sell, and others buy. Some do the deed with many tears, and some without a sigh. For each man kills the thing he loves, yet each man does not die. Each man kills the thing he loves. Each man kills the thing he loves. Da da da. Da 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 da. Each man kills a thing he loves. Each man kills a thing he loves. Da 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 da. Hi everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stirwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. And we got some movies for you this week. I don't know where my voice is going. <laughs> I don't know where it's going at. I, I sort of like got slightly goofy and then I leaned in and then it sort of like got away from me a little bit. Yeah. Um, um, let me actually just like pull up a calendar for that. For... So the first thing that we're going to talk about. Let's, let's, see let's a, do some scheduling stuff. Um, so this episode, we we're talking about Carell. Yes. The Rainer Werner Fassbender movie, Fassbender, and uh, this is coming out on December second. Yeah, January second. Or de- January second. We're going back We're in, in time and releasing. This is it, coming but... out January second. Mm-hmm. Uh, like basically at midnight on January first, the Ghost Divers holiday special released, and we go into detail about how. I kind of just jokingly suggested to Connor, like, not as a thing that we did, but just, like, because Connor was like, oh, let's, like, do, like, something kind of short or whatever, because we're we're not going to have a lot of time. 
Mm. Um, and the, the, the like new year special is like balloon. Cause we like cover all this other stuff too. Um, so let's just do something simple and easy. And then I just joke, joked to Connor. Oh, let's do Barry Lyndon. Mm. It then became Connor being like, it'd be funny if we announced that we were doing Barry Lyndon. And then we did Cromartie high school, the movie, which is what we had been planning to do. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about this, and I was just, like, asking Connor to confirm, are we going to do Crow High the movie mm-hmm. when when this came up? How does um, it feel to be accessory to murder? Yeah, so then people can hear everything that happened. Um, and we were already, like, if people are excited, we'll, we'll announce on the episode Connor's coming on to Ornate Stairwells, because he's, he's wanted to be on Stairwells at some point anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it would be a fun one. Yeah. Um, and it was like, we'll do it sometime like early 2023. And then it's just stuff mounted. Like lots of people were excited. People have been hype. Yeah. For the Barry Lyndon app. And when I announced, when I announced it and like the, the questions, I did put the velvet underground banana instead of the rose, which was a, a, a little clue. Something was off, but I think only one person picked it up and emailed us about it. <laughs> Didn't even comment like on where other people could see it. Send us an email. <laughs> so anyway, we're doing Barry Lyndon next week. We're going to record it on the 5th. Mm. This is the plan. Obviously, if illnesses and stuff come up, it might be a little bit delayed, but like our plan is the 5th, and mm. I'm going to do our, the best to stick to it aside from like actual crises or health mm-hmm, things mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um so that's the the big announcement of the next one people have already heard it if they listen to the new year's episode i'm sorry it's really funny that that guy died and people got more excited for you to do barry linden on ghost divers <laughs> that guy fucking beefs it and all the comments was, i saw yeah. were oh wow and it was this... just like the next morning just like connor and i being like Oh, we have to, we we have to like figure this out now. Like, what's our plan? <laughs> we we can't just be like ambiguously sometime in 2023. We need a plan for like right now so that we can announce it when we record it, which we recorded <laughs> shortly after that. It's so fucking funny <laughs> that he died and people got more excited. So anyway, all this to say, I can rate the stairs from Cromartie High School the movie. Um. I don't think anybody actually ever goes up and downstairs. Hmm. That's surprising. School, I feel like. Japanese school settings. Yeah, but like most of it's like in classroom, because especially it's Crow High. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Running high school, I, I guess you don't read the manga that much, but it's like. I've read some. There's not like a lot of. Yeah, it's mostly like in the classroom or. There's not a lot of moving from place to place. It's kind yeah. of like this is the setting for this strip. Anyway, if you haven't listened to the Ghost Divers New Year special, uh, go listen to that. Um, you know, what we talk there about the moments where we feel like it understands Grow High, but then in general, it kind of just feels like a weird, wacky tokusatsu comedy thing mm-hmm. that um, is like using elements of Cromartie High School, but is like a different humor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the jokes just don't land in the same way for us. Makes sense. So. Um, before we get further, I guess we can do one other thing, which is the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah. Is this another one we're going to say go listen to something else? Yeah. ExportAud.io slash ExportAudio to hear our annual commentary track on the Star Wars Holiday Special. For this, our fifth year, we were joined by, uh, my partner in crime, Nia. 
Um, yeah. And also, we were joined by liquor. <laughs> yeah. Eggnog. And uh, despite you being, I think, the lightest weight of us all, you drank the most of us all. Oh, man. I drank way too much. Um, stairs? There's the stairs up to Lumpawaru's, uh... Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Those are, like, D stairs. Those are, like, C-minus stairs. You've seen that too much. It's D. I was gonna say (laughs) C-plus. It's D. I I compromised down to C-minus for you. Those are D stairs. There's not even a stairwell scene on them. Okay, fair enough. D-plus? Because they look nice? They don't look nice. They don't. <laughs> it says nice copy on the film. The, the copy is nice, but this doesn't mean the stairs are nice. <laughs> Tell me about Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Well, so do we want, when do we want to do the... Because we're going to do our, our ten movies that we saw for the first time. Oh, do we want to do that before or do we want to do this now and then we'll let's, go through some more? Let's do the spreadsheet, then we'll do our top ten of 2023, and then we'll do... Okay. Carol. I just wanted to confirm, but I figured we could, at the top, do the ones where we're like really directing people somewhere else. Yeah. So... Um, I'm going to run through like multiple Christmas movies here, probably not talk a ton about them, but one of the things that we've been doing over the last like two weeks, um, is just watching a bunch of Christmas movies with my kid. Um, some of it is like, they're just now kind of getting to the age where they can sit down and watch, like, especially if it's like an hour long movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that kid can sit through an hour long movie now, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the movies on here we watched Star Wars. Did I even put it on here? You didn't put Star Wars on here. I didn't, I, I didn't fucking put Star Wars on here. I figured that was intentional. Just put it at the bottom. Just put it at the bottom. Yeah, we can. Hey guys, we watched Star Wars 1977. Uh, both of us watched it independently. It's Star Wars, the film that came out in 1977. Um, I watched the despecialized version. You watched the McClunky cut. It's Star Wars. That's all we need to say about it. <laughs> uh, I really wish they would have made more of those. Keep <laughs> uh, my joke again. Some some would say that they did. 1977? Okay. Lost to Annie Hall for Best Picture. Um, I got beat out by Woody Allen. I just remember one of the things that we talked about on Elf. Sorry, I don't remember anything about the Elf that we... Like, when we're doing this and Elf just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the week before we recorded, I didn't remember anything, but now I do remember that we talked about the Steven Spielberg watching the Oscars <laughs> thing and M did not link to it in the episode description. Like I told them that they should. People should, people should look up. Yeah. Steven Spielberg watches Oscar nominations, Jaws, yeah. 1975 or something. Yeah. Who do they think made the movie? The shock? <laughs> I got beat out by Fellini. <laughs> We've suffered enough. Anyway, what the fuck? Um, sorry, weird thing. Uh, about this re- real quick, F for stairs in Star Wars. Really? Yeah. I mean, I know that they're the triumph of the will stairs, but D minus for stairs in Star Wars. I feel like there's some other I feel like you get an F for doing the Triumph of the Will stairs. Sorry for my controversial anti-Nazi stance. <laughs> I feel like there's other stairs, though. There's the st- there's like stairs there's, in and out okay. of the... There's the ones like going down to where Princess Leia is. And... Yeah, there's like... There are... There are a lot of steps. Yeah. You know. There's, there's like... A, yeah. You kind of come down into... 
Um, Making the space interesting. Yeah. But you don't see Luke climb the stairs there, you know? I feel like you see him run down it. There's stairs down into the cantina, but they're just kind of like, I don't even think you see them in the shot. They're just sort of implied. You don't even get like a good cruising shot of gun. No. I'm just bringing it up because I we didn't remember what the stairs were, and then I remembered when I was doing the episode art. Is oh, that one yeah. did one of him walking down into the club? Yeah. Anyway, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. Um, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York is it's a weird movie because you like start watching it, and for like a half hour, you're like, yeah, I fucking watched Home Alone. Like you're just doing Home Alone again. And it's so, in like a, a like, comic, it, one, it's like, and this was a time before, like, probably a lot of home video all the time and everything. I guess home video was probably out, but it was still like, you'd go and you'd see it and it'd be like, oh yeah, I haven't seen this, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a mm-hmm. little while. So you don't mind as much that they're just like repeating the jokes and stuff. The beginning is just like literally, mm-hmm. like, shot for shot, some of the stuff is exactly the same. Um... And so it's, like, weirdly boring at first. Like, there's a way that, it, like, it's, like, two hours, and it feels like, oh, this is just, like, not sustaining it at all. Um, <clears throat> and it's also weird, because the whole end of Home Alone is, like, the mom learns her lesson, basically. About, and then like, she does that shit again. Yeah, and then she just does... I mean, and the shit, again, is not even the forgot her kid, right? Because she takes some extra precautions, and then there's still a mix-up, and the kid gets on the wrong plane. Um, right. He gets on the plane to New York instead of... Yeah. Right. But even with all of that, she also doesn't learn the the key, like, core thing, which is even more intensely than the first one, where, like, there's some confusion about exactly what happened. Like, there's this whole incident that happens at the choir thing, and then the, like, one cousin or whatever uh, who's older, uh, who, like, kind of starts the whole thing and everything is then, like, does this big show saying sorry to the whole family, and then just immediately is, like, behind their back, insulting Kevin and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the Kevin is like, no, I'm not going to apologize because he doesn't, he doesn't actually feel sorry. He is continuing to insult me. He does not feel sorry. And then they're like, no, the thing is that you just have to continue to be sorry. You have to say sorry. That's the whole thing. And they don't listen at all to Kevin being like, He's literally continuing to antagonize, like, Mm -hmm. just bad parenting in my book. Yeah. Just. The 90s is rife with it. Yeah. Yeah. She's just a bad mom before she even forgets her kid. In both movies. Before Mm -hmm. she even forgets her kid. But then the first movie is the whole thing where she's supposed to, like, learn her lesson, and then she doesn't. It just makes the the first movie even more comical. (laughs) Um, But once Kevin gets to New York... There's this whole extra bit before, like, the part where Kevin has to fight off the the uh, wet bandits feels so much more like we just have to rehash this because this is what Home Alone is, mm. right? Uh, and so that one is, like, <clears throat> kind of just playing the hits of the original again. So, like, the, the, the beginning and the end kind of just feel like you're watching Home Alone again and it feels like a weaker movie. But there's this whole part in the middle where Kevin is just, like, staying at a hotel and is, like, tricking and antagonizing, like, the concierge played by Tim Curry and stuff. And that part's fucking great. Cheese pizza. That part's just great. Like, and so it's weird because that part is good. And then the rest is kind of repeating Home Alone in a way where, like, if someone was like, oh, I haven't seen Home Alone before, like, should I watch it? I might be like, you can just watch Home Alone 2. 
But I also think it's a worse movie, but also I think there's just... That middle part is better than any other Home Alone thing. I don't mean to surprise you, but putting Tim Curry in basically any movie makes yeah. it better. Yeah, you know? I know this. <laughs> it's part of why that part's great, yeah. is that it's Kevin antagonizing Tim Curry, and it's not all the like little antic hijinks like trap stuff, you know? It's just other little funny bits. Tim Curry truly might be like the greatest of all time. There's a part where um, Kevin is in the, the limo, watching how the Grinch stole Christmas, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, and there's that part where the Grinch, like, really, like, turns up his face in this, like, really exaggerated smile, like, devilish smile, you know? Mm. That's, um, like, just really intense, like, no human face could do this, right? You're watching and you're like, this is, like, a really exaggerated human face. And then Tim, Tim Curry finds out that the card that Kevin used to check in has been reported stolen because they did that so they could, like, identify if he's using it where he is. Um. And so then he does the exact same fucking smile. And he does the exact same fucking smile. And you're like, <laughs> Tim Curry, my man. How do you do this? How it's does great. he do it? Anyway, there's this whole part about uh, how homeless people are, like, gross and scary. It was really weird. Especially because I watched this with my child the same day that we watched Tokyo Godfather. It's a movie where I was, like, trying to, like, explain compassion for, like, you know. Unhoused people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole part where it's really scary. Except for the pigeon lady who turns out to not be scary. Although Kevin's scary, scared of her at first. But also, Kevin teaches her the lesson that she needs to stop pushing people away. And then she'll be able to fix her life. Mm-hmm. Which is also fucking weird for a movie about... The 90s are bananas, yeah. dude. This is this movie came out when George H.W. Bush was still president. Yeah. Um. Anyway, for stairs, I feel like it's an S because you also have, like, the Plaza Hotel stairs oh, and stuff. But then you also have all the hijinks of, you know, all the shit that happens on stairs. Can I complain movies. about some shit? There's the part where they, they repeat the gag of the two uh, paint cans, but the wet bandits are like, haha, we know this one. And so they like pretend that they're getting hit, but they like dodge it. Like they like go up against the side of the wall and then they're like, oh, you got me right in the face. And then Kevin does like the giant lead pipe or whatever and it smacks them both. It's a good bit. It's a good bit. Anyway. I forgot what I was going to complain about. Okay. Um, Elf. Movie sucks ass. It's mid. We talked about it in the yeah. non-homophobia zone. I fucking hate that movie. I don't like Will Ferrell, generally speaking. So he's like fine, but I like Talladega Nights. Talladega Nights rocks. Other than that, um, Elf is weird because it it is like such a Will Ferrell vehicle, but also it's like clearly like there's all sorts of movies, and often they will be Christmas movies, where some sort of movie star who generally does stuff that is not kid-friendly probably has a kid that they want to be able to show at least one of their movies to, and so they do one that's, like, intentionally kid-friendly. Mm. Like, Jingle All the Way. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, the Santa Claus? Well, Tim Tim Allen is a generally yeah. kid-friendly guy, other than the cocaine. And the, like, just being a not great guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, in terms of his content, like, you can just watch yeah. um, Home Improvement. Right. Okay. Um. But, yeah. So, there's this way where it's like, oh, this is, like, you know, mostly, like, kid-friendly stuff. Will Ferrell's, like, kind of playing his character, but it's, like, being played up all, like, cute and innocent, you know, rather than, like, what he normally kind of does. Mm. Um. But the biggest thing is that it's it's basically just a Hallmark, like, holiday movie. Mm. Uh. That sort of general rom-com vibe. Um, but people don't act like it is, and they, like, there's lots of people that act like it's the greatest holiday movie ever, and it's, like, there's, there's so many of these. 
Yeah. They just don't have all fer- feral in them. But there are so many of these. Yeah. You you can watch one, like a new one every year at least. Yeah. At least one yeah. every year. Yeah. A new one. <laughs> it's fine. You know what other movie sucks ass? What? Fucking Anchorman. Terrible fucking movie. I uh <sighs> I, I forget if it's one or two. Comedy only, isn't just shouting. I've only seen one Anchorman before, and it was after just everybody had, like, said all the funny bits, you know? It was one of those movies where just people would fucking quote constantly, and then I had, like, this, these friends that would, like, quote it, and they're like, oh, you never seen it, you gotta watch it. And then but, they'd be, like, quoting it while I'm seeing it, and I was like... the thing is, The thing is, like... There are some of those movies like that. Like, like Nora and I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail last year, I want to say. And we're like, damn. Even though everybody has tried their best to ruin Holy Grail, that movie's still funny. There are still jokes in that movie that are fucking funny. Yeah. And Anchorman is not. Is not <laughs> Holy Grail tier. It is not Clerk's tier. Um. Anyway, every time that I see Elf, like, even just, like, the cover, like, the poster or something, oh, I'm not talking about the... So, um, there's a part where w- one of my brothers went to China and got a bunch of, like, bootlegged DVDs and gave them to me because, mm-hmm. you know, my family just knows that I like movies. Um, and a lot of the stuff was, like, just... You've told obvious, your Napoleon yeah. Dynamite story, yeah. you know. Uh, and so one of them was, because on the cover you have the E, and then you have Will Ferrell, as, as the L. As, as the L. And then you have the F. And if you don't speak English as your native language, this is kind of confusing because that can also really easily look like an I. Especially because L and I's can get mixed up anyways. So, like, everywhere else where they had the name written out, it was Eif. I think about <laughs> it all the time. Um, That's pretty good. Emily had never seen Elf and she wanted to watch it. And I was like, oh, Eif. <laughs> um... I really don't remember the series. I, I don't think there's... The reason I said, oh, God, when you mentioned the cover to it is I have such a powerful association with every teacher who was done for the semester from, like, fourth grade to senior year of high school. It's, like, the day before winter break. Let's put on Elf, everybody. To the point where I would see Elf in multiple classes in one day. The movie just had a stranglehold on the 2000s classroom. You're so much younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) Did I ever tell you my story about getting out of class one time? Because, um... I mean, this did come out when I was in high school, but... When I... My freshman year of high school... It was, like, three days before the end of school. We'd already taken our last test for biology. And so my biology teacher was like, oh, I'll put on Jurassic Park. There's that bit about DNA. And I said, oh, man, that movie used to scare me when I was little. And she's like, oh, well, if it's scary, you can just, like, go out into the hallway. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you can just, like, go do something else for the rest. You want a library pass? I'll give you a library pass. I was like. Oh, yeah, man, raptors are so fucking scary. Give me that hallway pass. <laughs> so, and it was it took like two days to watch Jurassic Park in this classroom, and I was just so scared of the velociraptors that I just fucked around for two days in the end of school. Yeah. I think about this a lot. 
Um, I was trying to remember stairs. There's an escalator scene in it. There's an escalator. There's an infamous escalator scene. Yeah, where he, he like, doesn't know how to go up the he escalator, and, the escalator and does some, like, body yeah. comedy stuff of it. It's like a B. Oh, I give it, like, a D minus. I fucking hate this movie. The stair scene is better than the fucking stairs in Star Wars Holiday Special. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, how the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now that we're fucking talking about the 1966. cinema. <laughs> um, just a, seen, it's just a good fucking movie. I've seen this movie so many fucking times. Yeah. This is my stepdad's favorite Christmas movie. Um, he sings this song all fucking year. It's really funny that there's been like a Grinch renaissance this year. I don't know what's going on. Everybody's fucking talking about the Grinch this year. I feel like um, it's just like a TikTok. Like I see so many TikToks about the Grinch now. I feel like because there was that. Um, there's that recent movie that's not yeah. that recent anymore. I want to say like a 2018 one. Okay, and there's the 2001 of Jim Carrey. I feel like I feel like there's like a uh, there's like a generation of people. I feel like who watched the Jim Carrey one when they were young enough mm-hmm. and they're now getting old and now like they're showing the 2019 one to their children, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, well, when they're kids, they probably be like still in their teens or something. Yeah. But like, I feel like I've seen like TikTok filters of like the Whoville nose. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just see Grinch all over TikTok. I, I like all the Grinch movies. Well, I, you know, I haven't seen the recent one, but I like the Jim Carrey one. But How the Grinch Stole Christmas, fucking banger. Yeah. This movie goes so fucking hard. I read. I think you like this a little bit more than me, but. <laughs> <laughs> I read this book to your kid the other day. Um, I say the other day. I think it was like three months ago or something. Yeah. And I was surprised because I feel like the book is not as good as the movie. <laughs> and I'm generally like a Dr. Seuss person. I'm really high on Dr. Seuss, but I feel like the book is not as good as the movie. Yeah. Um, the movie's pretty good. Because you also would, have like the song in there and stuff. And... Would you describe How the Grinch Stole Christmas as going fucking hard? No. Would you describe it as an ape shit movie? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. There's the part where there's all the different things that make loud sounds, and that's pretty funny. There's Roast Beast. His heart grows three sizes. Yeah. That little Which, dog. Which, his heart is two sizes too small, so when it grows just three sizes, it's mm-hmm. like one size larger than the normal yeah. heart. Oh. Yeah. I think about that dog constantly. I really relate to that dog. There is some really good... Uh, the part where they're like going down the uh, snow... I think I've watched How the Grinch Stole Christmas like four times in the last two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, where they're like going down... Uh, on the sled and the dog's supposed to be in front, but it like can't keep up. And so then it's like getting dragged behind and then it like manages to get up on top. And then the Grinch like looks back and the dog's like smiling, like I'm supposed to be pulling this, but I'm just enjoying the ride now. It's really (laughs) funny. You know, looking ahead to the next movie on this list, if you don't mind, I cannot think of two fictional dogs more different than the dog from how the Grinch stole Christmas and Snoopy. Yeah, but also they both—they're funny dogs. They're pretty funny dogs. They're funny dogs. Yeah, yeah. Is is there uh, okay? Finish anything you want to say about how the Grinch stole Christmas and or stairs, and then we could talk about. I don't remember any stairs and how the Grinch stole Christmas. I don't either. There might be like a part where he like briefly walks down some. Yeah, he might tiptoe down some stairs during a musical bit or something. Yeah, 
I mean, he does a lot of tiptoeing in that movie. Yeah. I'm just going to do question marks, but I don't think there are stairs. I've seen it three times, but I'm still going to do question marks just because. So, this is an interesting. Oh, Sorry, you go. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, took some some convincing to get my kid to watch this. Was like, I don't want to watch that. I want to watch like how the the Grinch stole Christmas again. Um, I want to watch Home Alone again. We saw Home Alone two multiple times. Um, and then finally it was like, let's just put on for like a little bit. Charlie Brown Christmas special. Mm-hmm. And then immediately we just watched it three times in a row or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kid was just fucking howling at stuff. I was I was so interested when you told me about that because a weird thing about me. I am an avid reader, always have been, of Peanuts. Um, I, I have... It was always my favorite as a kid, second only to Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes is and will always be my favorite. No. Um, but I really like Peanuts. I kind of rediscovered it as an adult. I love, you know, I love reading all those strips, like in like comic book format and whatever. Um, I listen to the soundtrack to Charlie Brown Christmas religiously. Like November 1st, the moment I wake up, I'm listening to Christmas Time is Here. Um, I don't think I've seen this movie since I was, like, seven years old. I have, I, like, as much as I love Peanuts, I just have, like, no engagement or knowledge of the films, really. I I saw them. I've definitely seen them. Yeah. But I just don't, it's not a thing that I know anything about, really, you know? Um, it is, especially having not seen them in a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time how much it's doing, like, there are parts where it's like, this is just a strip, like, it's it's a comic strip joke thing that's being played out here. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a part, this might, because, so the other thing is, we, we uh, went and we got uh, entirely legally our Charlie Brown Christmas special, mm-hmm. or Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, and when I, when I went to load it up, I noticed that it was an hour and a half long, which is odd because Charlie Brown Christmas is like a half hour. Yeah. Um, and it turned out that it was just a file that had a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's Christmas time again, Charlie Brown, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then it's Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown, which does not make sense. No, that does not make sense. <laughs> because it's just like a weird, everybody's exercising and stuff. Okay. <laughs> It makes no sense that Snoopy's a beagle, right? He doesn't look like a beagle at all in any way, shape, or form. Does not behave like a beagle. Snoopy. He's fucking (laughs) Snoopy. He ain't a beagle. He's Snoopy. I don't remember if it was in uh, Charlie Brown Christmas or it's Christmas time again, Charlie Brown. But there is a part where, like, uh, Charlie Brown's sister comes and is like, help me write this letter to Santa. And... It's like while Charlie Brown is like walking around doing other stuff in the like overarching plot of the movie, but it is just one of the ones where normally like the original strip was probably them sitting at the table and like she's writing the letter and then Charlie Brown is being like, oh, you know, my sister's gone commercial or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. she's like asking for like, or you can just give me my gift as like money, uh, tens and twenties, please. And being like tens and twenties, <laughs> my sister, even my sister's gone commercial or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think part of why my kid really liked the movie is there's a certain amount of like bratty insulting that happens a lot in Charlie Brown. People okay, will say blockhead okay, okay. and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And all that stuff was just uproarious i this this was the other thing because as an adult when i read old peanut strips and stuff the only thing that i can really see is how relentlessly sad peanuts is <laughs> like it's a there's like a very dark humor to the strips yeah. especially and so i was like why does your kid like this <laughs> i think there's just something even as a kid, there's something about Peanuts that taps into this, like, like, as a kid, you don't have a lot of control over your life and the things that are happening, mm-hmm. uh, even more so than, like, compared to an adult, because um, you just have to listen to other people and everything, and so there is this, like, certain thing where, like, there's just, like, the the tragic fadedness of everything yeah. that happens to Charlie Brown, yes. but I think it's also just kind of weirdly relatable when you're a kid. There's the the very first Peanut Strip, infamously, is the one where Charlie Brown. The, there's two kids sitting on the curb. Charlie Brown walks by, and one of them says, "Here comes Charlie Brown, good old Charlie Brown." I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and that is sort of the energy that Charles Schultz imbues the entire everything yeah. with. <laughs> um, and, and maybe. <laughs> By uh, product of being my child, my kid is really into this kind of humor. Um, there goes that guy. Good guy. Fucking hate him. <laughs> yeah. Nothing good ever happens to Charlie Brown in like 60 years of Schultz creating Peanuts. No, not one good thing happens to that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I know the second one, uh, Charlie Brown's trying to make money to buy gloves for the redhead, uh, mm-hmm. red-haired girl who has some name in it. I, I can't ever remember their fucking I forget, names. I forget her name. I know, I know Charlie Brown, I know Lucy, I know Linus, I know... Marcy. Fuck. Marcy, Susie. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, as much as I love peanuts, I can't remember these fucking kids' names ever. But anyway, um, and my kid thought it was really hilarious. Where at the end of like Charlie Brown's gone through all this like process, is like tried to sell her the part where it's like he, he's trying to sell all of his like um cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, or no, old used comic books, and they're just like all over. And my kid thinks this is fine. This whole process of Charlie Brown trying to raise money to buy these gloves for this girl. And then when he finally has the money and he goes to buy them, they're not there because the mom, the girl just went to the store with the mom, and the girl wanted the gloves, and the mom bought the gloves for the girl. And so now Charlie right. Brown can't. And like, <laughs> just the like, that That's just like hit. For, yeah. It's a, it's a log football gag. Yeah. It's literally Charlie Brown kicking the football. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forget who, who it is, too. There's this part where somebody comes up, um, and it's like, mm. trying to explain something about the Christmas story or something. Like, it's like, I don't think it's like Jesus Christ or something, but there's like some person who gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I forget who it is. It's like Lucy or, or something. Um, or no, it's Charlie Brown's sister. She's like, uh, 
I like, you know, I've never heard of him. He doesn't have his his name on any, or he, like doesn't have his name and picture on any, uh, like bubblegum cards. <laughs> <laughs> My kid thought that was hilarious. So, yeah. Um, and then also really enjoyed. So it's funny because a Charlie Brown Christmas. The music in that is like very seventies, but in just such a classic way that you don't really think about how it's seventies. Sixties, right? I think. Um or yeah, sixties. Yeah, there's it's it's you know, it's bass, drums, piano. You know, yeah. it is sort of like a timeless feel to it. There's like a little bit of this jazziness, it's like a yeah. little bit sad and stuff, mm-hmm. but like yeah, it it's like held up in this way where it like there's it doesn't a, feel dated. There's a really good TikTok I saw the other day, uh and it, like many good TikToks, um, really like drags the joke on too long. Could have worked if you just did like a six second version, but they did the thirty second version. But it's like Hey, Vince Guaraldi, uh, love your work. Uh, we need you to do the soundtrack for this um, children's Christmas 30-minute special. Can you do it? And he's like, yeah, and I think it's going to sound like if you went to a, a party with a bunch of, like, PhD students who had like were really hot. <laughs> yeah, they're really hot. They're all wearing turtlenecks, but they're sad. All of them are depressed. <laughs> Okay, but you, they're hot. You, I sent I sent you this TikTok. Oh, you yes. sent it to me. Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, Charlie Brown Christmas, very classic. There's ways where you watch it and you're aware of like the ways that it's like sixties, like it's old. You know, the animation. Yeah. There's like a, an oldness sure, to it. Sure. Um, but it all like it feels classic in a way just because of like it's some of it might just be its place in society you know yeah or whatever uh you watch it's christmas time again charlie brown and it's very obvious that like for me now as an adult that like there's a garfield and friends quality to the animation and they've like redone some of the music oh no but they're trying to do a charlie brown christmas mm-hmm. and so in a way like, the music is not that dissimilar, right? The animation has changed a little bit. It's not quite as classic. It's not like... Like, there's a little bit more of, like, this specific TV animation style there's, that's developed. It's it's just... This specific era of TV animation, I... Just personal opinion, hate it. Just like that 80s, like... Like, like your G.I. Joes, your Garfield and Friends, your He-Mans, your... Um, my little Garfield and Friends, I think, is different than some. Of, there's like, in in part because Garfield in particular already has such a on model quality. Sure, as a a figure in yeah. the way that other things don't. Yeah, there is a way that it feels slightly different than like He Man, which is like a little bit yeah cheaper. Yeah, um, but th- th- this specific era is all I'm saying is this specific era of American animation is just detestable to me personally. It doesn't no. look as good, but it's trying to do. What I'm, my point is, oh, it's sorry, trying sorry, to do sorry, sorry. a Charlie Brown Christmas. It doesn't look quite as good. They're like rearranging stuff, and some of it is not hitting quite as well as the original Okay. soundtrack. But all that stuff is like, they know that people are watching this because they like a Charlie Brown Christmas. Right. You know? Okay, okay, okay. We then get to it's Flash Beagle Charlie Brown, and it's the most '80s fucking thing ever. <laughs> the animation is so fucking '80s. Every single oh, song is the most '80s song ever. Oh no! And my child is just fucking dancing through the whole thing. Oh no! <laughs> so anyway, no. 
Um, How are the stairs? I don't remember any fucking stairs. Okay. You telling me those little kids walk up and down stairs? I do not can believe you, you. Can you imagine trying to animate those children climbing <laughs> stairs? <laughs> um, <clears throat> this reminded me of something um, I was listening to on a podcast the other day. You know, you know, old Garfield. You know, like the original model for Garfield. Yeah. Try to imagine that Garfield standing. Yeah, it doesn't. This it, is why Garfield changed. You, like, I don't think, I, if you try to make that model vertical in any way, it doesn't work. <laughs> this is why Garfield changed. There's only one pose that that, that Garfield can do. This is enough about Garfield. <laughs> okay. Um, the Polar Express is a bad fucking movie. I, oh, okay. We didn't finish it. We made pretty pretty far, and I was like, it was like getting to be bad time, and I was like, "We're not coming back to this. We're not coming was, back. It's bad." It's interesting because I remember that as I was going to say the only good Robert Zemeckis movie, and then I remembered that he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But if you say that the Polar Express is bad, then I'm fully willing to just be like, oh. "Oh, I must be misremembering. It must be. It must be bad." Like yeah. I'm fully just like that movie must suck. G- truly, Who Framed Roger Rabbit might be his only good movie. Yeah, I'm a Back to the Future hater. Yeah, Back to the Future is okay. I'm um, a hater. I admit this. The the uh, cultural status around it. Oh god, he did Forrest Gump. He fucking sucks. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I guess I haven't seen Castaway. Maybe Castaway is fine. Fine. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen this Christmas Carol. It's it's got Jim Carrey and it's got that same weird fucking art style as Beowulf and Polar Express. Yeah. Uh, I know Nora likes Beowulf. He's <laughs> fucking awful. Oh, can I can I tell you something? Yeah, yeah, please. Um, so for a long time, because I knew that that Nora really likes Beowulf, mm-hmm. and for a really long time, I thought that it was the movie Beowulf and Grendel from tw- two thousand five. I would be so much happier if that was what Nora wanted to watch. Um, you know the the Gerard Butler. It's like partially produced in Iceland, so. I think I've seen I, I I think when I um we read I think we just read the Grendel bit in an English class one year. I don't think we read all of Beowulf, but we read the Grendel part and maybe we watched like 30 minutes of that movie. Yeah. This is the thing. Uh on Elf on Around the Long Fire, and it's like, "Oh, I don't want to do Beowulf." Um I've like read Beowulf multiple times and I'm like, "One it's just, like, so in a continuum with the saga stuff that we're doing. And two, everybody has only ever read the Grendel part. Mm-hmm. I know that, I, I know that's not true of me. Mm-hmm. But most people have only... They read it in high school. And they read the Grendel part and that was it. Yeah. Because whatever textbooks even... were, like, widely published for them only put the Grendel part in. I didn't even get to read the shit with the dragon in it. Yeah. They kept I, the dragon away from I me. I think a lot of the audience would enjoy us going through all of Beowulf and talking about it. Mm-hmm. I would tag along for that. Yeah. Not like be on the podcast, but I would try to read along. Anyway, I don't remember Stairs and Polar Express because it's a bad fucking oh, movie. Oh, I was going to show you something. Um, The weirdest thing in it is it's like trying to do this whole 3D thing, but then so much of it is just like... Just let the actual actors act and show me their faces. Like it's not it's not doing enough with the 3D, I feel like. 
Um, I found out today that P. Craig Russell, one of my favorite um, comics artists, did a graphic novel of The Ring of the Nibelung. But that is Wagner's. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know it's Which like is, an, yeah. it's an adaptation of Wagner's adaptation of the Nibelungen lead. And Wagner's adaptation of the Nibelungen lead is actually far more based on the Volsunga saga. I just think that um the I just think that P. Craig Russell's art is fucking incredible. And I was excited about this because he also has the done are wrong. Huh? So the helmets are wrong. He also has done a I mean it's correct for Wagner. He's also done a book called Norse Mythology that is unfortunately written by Neil Gaiman, and so I'm not reading that shit because I'll get mad. Um, <laughs> because the last thing I want is to hear Neil Gaiman telling me about Norse mythology. I'm just doing F with a question mark because I really didn't like Polar Express. Okay. The Apartment, directed by Billy Wilder, 1960. All right, now we're on to some fucking bangers. Yeah. Um, I thought that I had seen The Apartment before. People can hear about why in the non-homophobia zone. But um, I don't think I'd actually seen it before. Um, it's a fucking good movie. It's like a Christmas movie, kind of, and a it's like uh, a New Year's movie. New Year's of. movie. I mean, it ends with New Year's, but like, there's a whole big plot thing with like a Christmas party and stuff. Um, oh, I gotta post every year on New Year's. I post the um, the Batman and Gordon getting coffee together on New Year's Eve. I gotta post that when it comes. Oh out. yeah. Um. I just want to pull it up so I can I can have some names. Um, Jack Lemon. Yeah, so so Jack Lemon plays uh, C.C. Baxter or Bud. Fred McMurray's in this movie. I fucking love Fred McMurray. Um. Oh yeah, as as Sheldrake, who's the like basically the, the president or the CEO. Um. He plays a great scumbag. Is he a scumbag in this movie? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. He's so the... basically there's there's this weird way where like. It's such a good, like, f- this movie is, like, coming out at such a good time. And I know there's other stuff around this time. But, like, it has this energy of, like, I feel like the 90s version of this would be too sleazy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But the whole premise of this is still, like, like, you couldn't do this in, like, the 40s, you know? With, like, the code and stuff. Because the basic premise is that Jack Lemon, who plays C.C. Baxter, he lets like management at his company use his apartment to like have sex with their mistresses. Right. Okay. I do know the premise of this. Yeah. Um, and I listened to the repertory screenings yeah. about it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, eventually like, so the, the head of the company, uh, Sheldrake who's played by Fred McMurray. Um, there's a part where he like, you know, has basically like come to suspect everything. And, um, all the other guys who have been like using his apartment are basically like putting in word for a promotion for him. So he like moves up to like their level, basically. Oh. And at that point, Sheldrake is like, you know, I have a sense of something's going on here, right? Uh, and it's like doing this whole thing of like basically like, you know, you're in huge trouble, like, these people are, like, potentially gonna get fired, like, this is a, a huge abuse, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the ve- very end, like, kind of, like, s- suggests a little bit of, like, um, but, you know, like, they should, we, we're cutting them off, but, like, maybe I could use the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, is where, where it goes to. Um, and 
there's this whole thing with like CC Baxter is um interested in this girl Fran who's played by uh Shirley MacLaine. Um and it turns out that she has been the mistress of Sheldrake. There was sort of like a a breakup sort of thing that happened. There's like a lot of drama in there because and basically, like, there's a lot of the tension is Sheldrake being like, oh, I'm going to divorce my wife. Um, and then it being like, how genuine is he being with this? He's playing a shitty, mm-hmm. slimy dude. So maybe you can come to conclusion about how this wraps up. Okay. Where okay. our okay. hero, Jack Lemon is interested in her. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so there's this part where everything goes really south and she attempts suicide in his apartment uh, after stuff happens in, in his apartment with Sheldrake. Um, and then a lot of it is him, like trying to take care of her because she's sure. like still recovering. Cause she took a bunch of sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also this way that like throughout it, he is like, cause he doesn't really want people to know that he's like renting his apartment out basically for like other people that have sex in. So he's pretending he's this like playboy, uh, who just uh, like has women over every night and stuff like that. Um, and so then also, like, the doctor next door is the person he gets to help with the sleeping pills. Uh, and the doctor is just, like, judging him. But then he doesn't want to, like, reveal everything that's going on in her life. So there's this way that he, like, continues to take the fall as being, like, the really shitty slummy dude, even though he, like, continues to be, like, He's actually the upstanding, yeah. you know. Um, And it's just, like, works really well for, for Jack Lemmon as an actor. Okay. Just okay. the, like, space that he's in where he's, well, like... What else has he been in? Because I, I know the name, but I can't, like, place, like, what I've seen him in. And it might be one of those things where, like, I haven't seen Some Like It Hot. I haven't seen, um, um, Days of Wine and Roses, which I think I, I would like. Oh, I've seen Glenn Gary. Oh, he's in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, okay, I can see how this role works for him. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's better than that movie, I feel like. Like he than Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah. yeah, I feel like people like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross when it's actually just that like Jack Lemmon and some good actors kind of elevate a a, a sort of mid movie. To be honest, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. better than the play at least. The play sucks. Um, but no, it's it's fantastic. Um, I'm now putting it up there with like my big Christmas movies with Tokyo Godfathers, which. Tokyo Godfather's more of like an actual Christmas movie in content, despite what Jocelyn fan says. <laughs> I don't know how this is anything this is... else other than a Christmas movie about Christmas miracles happening in the magic of Christmas and about family and family coming you, together for Christmas. You have people don't know this. Um but but in a in the closet where we record um this uh podcast. Right behind Nia's seat is a collection of about six or seven axes that she just loves to grind <laughs> every time. Oh, um, the apartment I feel like is like at least a. There might be a better, st- but I kn- there's like a lot of going up and down the stairs to the apartment and stuff. Real quick, when's the last time you've seen Double Indemnity? I don't know. Have you seen Double Indemnity? I th- I think so, but it's been a while. Well, because I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like, oh, you know what? There's a lot. I really like Billy Wilder, and I have a lot of gaps with him. Like, I haven't seen Some Like It Hot. I haven't seen The Apartment. Um, Some Like It Hot's good. I I would like to fill in some of my Billy Wilder gaps. Um, and then I was thinking about Dumble Indemnity for a second, and I was like, you know what would be an excellent candidate for 
Autumn way over explains the plot of a noir movie. It's fucking double indemnity. That's a convoluted ass movie. I'm gonna find like the last time that. Can you? Can oh, you... we did Tokyo Godfathers as the movie. We did a C plus. Okay. Can you go back to the 2021 sheet real quick for me, real quick? Press con- Command A for me. And um, just uh, where's the fucking text wrap or whatever so that it's all center aligned? In the vertically. Yeah. You... Um, do, do, do. This is great audio. Yeah. You're right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. My OCD appreciates that. Um. Yeah, C plus for stairs in Tokyo Godfathers feels right. Yeah. We did an entire episode about it. It's the greatest Christmas ever, movie ever. Um, we have now done, a, other than Paprika, we have done a podcast about every Satoshi Kon movie, which is crazy to think yeah. about. And I did Paranoia Agent on Ghost Divers. So yeah. At some point, I think we have to do Paprika, but. Should we have Connor on for that? We could. Yeah. I don't know how, how many of his other stuff he's seen. I don't know. We should ask. Yeah. Um. We'll do paprika at some point. Yeah. I hope that I don't think it's mid, but I kind of suspect I'll just think it's mid. There is that bit where he puts her hand under his skin. Uh, his hand under her, her skin. skin. Yeah. yeah. That, that's pretty good. I was creeped out about that at the yeah. time, and now I just think I'd... Oh, I'm not going to say that. Ponyo! In a weird way, in the way that, like, for me, Star Wars is kind of a Christmas movie. Right. Independently of you and Nora, it being a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a way that when I was a kid, I think I watched Star Wars a lot around Christmas. Uh-huh. There's like, so you'd be excited about the fucking Star Wars toys you get and shit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe that's why. But I feel like somehow Ponyo has become a Christmas movie for my kid. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about like what other are there other Christmas movies that you want to watch? And then saw Ponyo and was really excited to watch Ponyo. And we we're like, sure, let's watch Ponyo again. You know what's a great movie? Ponyo. They fucking love Ponyo. Who doesn't? Which I fully understand because the kid in that is like the exact same age as them now, basically. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because Ponyo is for like younger kids than most of Miyazaki. Like Miyazaki generally makes movies for kids, but that is for younger kids. Yeah, or there's a way that like, because <clears throat> it's doing a Little Mermaid, which is also my kid's favorite Disney movie that they've seen is Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Um, Ponyo is also doing it, but it's also like specifically like Ponyo and um, Sosuke, Sosuke mm-hmm. um, are Sosuke like literally Sosuke. like four or five or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like little kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's a lot of fun. I don't have too much else to say. I also don't remember the stairs, but I know we've we've watched Ponyo before, so I'm just gonna see what we say last time. F with a question mark. Um. I feel like there really aren't, because there's lots of... Let's just get it in an F. Yeah. It's underwater. Yeah, it's, like, mostly underwater. There's not, like, a lot of stairs in the house. No. There is, like, an upstairs, I think, but it's not like you see a lot of stuff with that. Yeah. Um, You know. A lot more of it's the fun of, like, the ramen and stuff. Right. You know? Anyway. All right. Let's get into it. One bad movie, one good movie. You're not going to guess which is which. Um, Barbie and Rebel Moon. (laughs) Part one, A Child of Fire. Barbie. This is weird, right? Because when I was watching it, I was like, oh, fun movie. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd. I think think this came up on Elf. 
You were literally watching Barbie while uh, yes. while Em and I were recording around the long fire. Yes, I I um had come over to your your place to do something. I don't remember what. Um, and you went in to record Alf, and I was just gonna read X Men, but but Emily was like, "Oh, do you want to watch something? Barbie's on Max now." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'll watch some Barbie, sure." And for like, how long is that movie? Let's say two hours. Let's just say two hours. Yeah. For like an hour and fifteen minutes, it's like a totally fine movie. I'm laughing. I'm enjoying myself. Some good jokes. And it's like nice to see the Hollywood musical returning. Even if I still think that like the current Hollywood style is going to lean too much into like post processing to do these sorts of things. Yeah. Whereas yeah. just having the actual chemistry of people dancing around together on screen is gonna be better. And but... also and also I don't think that um, these actors uh, are as great of dancers as the days of old when you were dancing in literally every movie. You yeah. Know? Um, not to be a boomer about it, I just think that, like, if Ryan there got... Was, there was a period of time where mm-hmm. part of the job description was... Knows how to dance. Knows how to dance. In the same way that I think, like, to be a VTuber right now, you need to have some singing ability. You don't need to be a great singer, but, like, s- able to sing. Yes. Able to do music feels like it's probably part of what they're looking at. Yes. There, to be an actor once upon a time, ability to dance was probably one of the, the things that you were being considered just in general when getting cast. And so, like, Ryan Gosling and the cast of this movie do well at dancing. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that the, the numbers are not as intricate as when there was a Hollywood musical coming out every week, you know? Yeah. Um. That's all I'm saying. I, you know, I'm not... Anyway, 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 anyway. There's a part of this movie that I enjoyed. It's kind of funny. It's, you know. Uh, and then it drives off of a cliff. And then for, like, the last stretch of the movie, it gets really fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Again, as as I think I said at the time, like, the true current dominant genre in Hollywood cinema is... We do the discourse about the... F- Everything's about a franchise. Uh-huh. Everything's about a franchise that people already have preconceived feelings about. And then we do a movie that is about the discourse around the franchise, but also specifically in a way where we get to set the limits of what the discourse is by giving you enough different perspectives that are supposed to be your perspective that you can identify with, oh, I'm the the girl who thinks that Barbie's a fascist. Right. And it's kind of, you and, know. And I'm just, this is, I, I'm going to go overly broad and reductive right now, and then I can sort of, like, walk back from this as I need to. Yeah. I'm so fucking tired of postmodernism. I'm so fucking tired of, like, irony, um, and especially, like, corporate postmodernism, you know, of, like, uh, of, you know, the fucking Space Jam 2, where LeBron James goes to a boardroom meeting with the people with the people running HBO Max and is telling them how a sequel to Space Jam would be a dumb idea, you know. Yeah. This is the dominant genre in Hollywood right now. And the only movie that I think did this but that worked was the new Matrix one because it was it felt just very genuinely like her talking about her fucking experiences with yeah. making the Matrix and with she just wants to make another Matrix movie and she had to go through this crap, you know. Yeah. 
Um, There's a way that that one just feels deeply personal in the way that most of the other stuff that's doing this feels really corporate. We want to, like, have the thing that's going to do the critique of the thing, but as a joke and also, like, set the limits of what the critique is and, like, try to guide what the discourse about it is going to be. Yeah, this is why, like, Lego Batman movie was, like, slightly ahead of the curve on this. And so a lot of people whose taste I generally line up on were like, oh, Lego Batman movie's really good because it's kind of poking fun at Batman movies. But then I came to Lego Batman movie, like, six years late when every movie had become Lego Batman. And I fucking hate Lego Batman. (laughs) I think that movie's fucking garbage. But I think if I had seen it when it came out, I probably would be like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good movie, sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but but th- that style has just become overwhelmingly popular, and and Barbie's problem specifically is not just this stuff, which that's this is certainly a problem with Barbie. Well, it's also but, it's doing this, but when Marvel's doing it, it's about how everybody's tired of Marvel. Mm-hmm. When Barbie's doing it, it's about feminism. And it's about the most insane, didactic, like, 2009 feminism. Yeah, it's, this is it's some, very we're steep on that second Ar- wave. We're on that Arnia Sarkeesian shit right now. Yeah. You know? Like... Yeah. <laughs> like, and, like, the, the because it's... If the movie just had, like, a War of the Sexes plot to it, you know? If it was, like, oh... You know, um, uh, you could still do the part where Ken goes to the real world and finds out that it's run by men and brings that back to Barbie land. And you can still do the part where it's like this war of the sexes plot, you know? And if you don't have it be like the resolution to that is staring into the camera and saying what womanhood is and is not... Like, I don't think the movie is that bad. But because it is so much, it becomes so much about staring into the camera and telling you the politics that you need to have to be a good person, it makes me fucking crazy. Especially because so much of it is like, it's not, it's not saying the whole biology thing, but also it's going to make a joke about womanhood being tied to biology. It's towards the end but also it's gonna do the 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 modern hollywood like disney especially really pioneers this which is uh we cast harry neff as one of the barbies and she's trans so you know so uh, any critique of it having a like very uh cis normative especially cis heteronormative mm-hmm. idea of womanhood and feminism and everything mm-hmm. that it's like deeply, deeply concerned with, but you're not supposed to critique that because Hari Neff is one of the Barbies. I, I, and, and so I, of course they can't be saying that, that womanhood is biological, even though we're going to make a joke about ladies go to the OBGYN or whatever. And let's like, let's say those two things cancel each other out. Yeah. Right. Like, because Personally, I didn't really know who Hari Neff was. I'd recognize the name when you mentioned it to me later, but I did not. I did not know who Hari Neff was, and I was not trying to watch this movie with my, you know, trans dar on. Where I'm mm. like, oh, you know, what? A, there's a GNC person or whatever. Um, so I didn't. I didn't know about that aspect to it. 
And even so, if let's let's say the joke at the end and Hari Neff cancel each other out, they're yeah, multiply out to zero or whatever, you know, add up to zero, negative one, positive one, whatever. Um, I lost my train of thought. It's still oh, like oh, oh, oh. if yeah. you if you do all this stuff and you don't specifically talk about trans people being included. If you make the movie, gender is this. Gender is real. It is powerful. It exists. And it looks like this. Because that's what the movie is doing. It's drawing extremely hard lines on what gender is. If you do that, and you do not address the existence of trans and non-binary people, if you sidestep all of it, if you try to dance around it, you are confirming cis-normative politics. That's what you're doing. Is you are confirming a a trans misogynist, trans misandrist status quo that says non-binary people aren't real. If you don't fucking talk about it, then what you're doing is you're saying is you're being gender essentialist. If you are just letting the audience fill their own politics in, then you're filling in a a hateful, bigoted status quo that is the world. And I think it's fucking despicable if you're gonna like lecture me as part of the movie to. To, to do that, you know? Yeah. There's also all sorts of weird stuff that's happening in it where, like... Like, the whole thing... The whole ending of it is also really concerned with, like... It is a good <coughs> thing when, when Barbie returns the world to a matriarchy. Mm-hmm. The Barbie world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also not really talking about how... Maybe that's a good thing because it is a counterbalance to the patriarchal main world. Mm -hmm. But there is also this weird tone of, like, the triumph at the end of the movie is the, like, oppressed class of people in the Barbie world realize they don't need to be oppressed, rise up, and then seize power, and then the good ending is they get put in their place again. But also, like... And so that's part of what's happening that is also not a resolution of, like, like one that's, like, reaffirming that there's, like, a clear uh, distinction and divide between these things. Mm-hmm. There's also this way that it then all gets tied into, like, motherhood is just specifically about, like, suffering and standing in place so that, like, your daughters can go further than you did. Mm-hmm. That's also kind of fucking weird mm-hmm. from, like, this whole... Yeah, there's just so much stuff where it's, like, really concerned with, like, defining what gender is, who has gender, and in what ways, and then also, like, girl power, like, part of what it offers up as a solution is, like, girl power, the girl boss. And and, and here's the other thing about all this, is that, like, this, all of this, us talking about the politics... The movie didn't have to be this. It shoots itself in the foot. Yeah. Because if it doesn't do all this, then I'm coming on this podcast and I'm talking about how fucking funny it is when they do the bit where it's all the Kins 
on the beach playing their guitars, singing Matchbox 20, and then the the various Barbies make the various Kens jealous by getting up and walking over to other Kens. That's fucking funny. Yeah. The bit where all the Kens do a dance-off and then they kind of forget why they were fighting in the first place is fucking hilarious. Yeah. The part where they go to the real world and they're dressed like Barbie characters is really fucking funny. Yeah. Also, Will Ferrell's in this movie. <laughs> and he's not funny, but I keep forgetting he's in the movie entirely. Yeah. Um, it's also weird how one of the big things that it wants to do is it has the whole critique about, like, how the CEO's a man and, like, you know, even the companies that are, like, supposed to be empowering women still have, like, a ton of men, like, in control. But then also the whole thing at the end is that Will Ferrell does actually really care about little he's girls a good and wants CEO. to empower little girls and he's a good CEO. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's just all so weird. Yeah. It's so weird how it wants... Again, it wants to, like, really neatly resolve... Like, it wants to set the discourse and then provide the correct solution to you, so that if you don't follow that, then you're just wrong. Yeah, if you... It's like creating a world where if you don't like the Barbie movie, you were bad at watching the Barbie movie. Yeah. Um, Which I guess... You know what? To be fair... if you don't like the Barbie movie, you're supposed to be the daughter who then learns in the process of it that the Barbie movie is... uh Has run and is now standing so that you can run further. You know what? Uh, here's the credit I will give to Hollywood. If I'm a CEO, if if I'm a director, if I'm Greta Gerwig, and I see what happened to The Last Jedi, my solution becomes, I need to tell people how to talk about this movie on the internet or it will ruin the movie. <laughs> I understand how we got here, you know, because if you... Like, if if you just make a movie that sort of exists to speak for itself... You, the Last Jedi happens to you, and then, and then it runs away from you. So I understand wanting to sort of box things in very neatly, but truly, like, I just think that the movie shoots itself in the foot because there's a lot of stuff that I really, 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 really like in this movie. Yeah. Like, no, but, but that's none of that stuff is what I end up talking about on a podcast because the movie becomes so, so didactic. You know, it's the word I keep coming back to. It's literally staring into camera and telling you how you're supposed to feel about the movie. And I don't agree with it. And so, like, it becomes the only thing that I can talk about when I talk about the movie. Um, and yeah, I, w- I would rather talk to you about how funny it is when Ryan Gosling wears the giant mink coat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks, I, I would rather talk to you about... I had seen, obviously, the, the gif of her saying, do you guys ever think about death? I was not prepared for how funny that moment is yeah. in the movie where they're all just dancing and then she's suddenly like, do you guys ever think about death? And then screeches to a halt. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, to, to get somewhat to the point of stairs, I think the bit of when they're in Barbie land, they never go up and down the stairs because whenever you're playing with it, you would it's never so do it. It's so fucking good. Move. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> or the, what, the one that really got me is at the start, when she gets in the shower and there's no water coming out, and I'm like, what? Oh, because there's not water in here, Barbie dream house. And yeah. then she's pouring the milk and there's nothing there. And then there's or- the part where she first goes to drink and is unaware of how an actual like cup yes. of water with water physics works yes. and just throws it on her face. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's good. I would rather be talking about this stuff than, like, the stuff at the end of the movie that I just felt, like, really fucking ruined it for me. And also, and also, one more thing, one more thing. This movie does a breakfast club. It's so fucking funny that for 
decades, all anyone has ever been able to talk about with The Breakfast Club is how misogynist the ending of it is, where she, like, stops being goth and she puts on a, you know, dress and she takes off the glasses and whatever. She becomes traditionally pretty. Everybody talk. I love The Breakfast Club. I think that movie's great. Yeah, um, and then you get to the part where that's about to happen, and then you stop it, and you're like, that yeah. was a good movie. Yeah, you just stop the movie 15 yeah. minutes before the end. Literally, like, I've watched The Breakfast Club many times. I think I've only watched the ending twice, because any other time that I'm going to rewatch it, <laughs> I get to the part where I know that's going to happen, and then I'm just like, well, movie's over, that was a good movie. Because <laughs> I know I'll just be mad if I watch the rest. And literally, that's what happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because the daughter starts as a tough goth, and she ends wearing pink and brace. They literally do because the breakfast club. The person who doesn't like Barbie is supposed to be her, and then gets converted to liking Barbie. They, through watching the movie. Like, uh, how, how do you do this? How are you so, like... Telling you what misogyny is and is not, and wandering into doing a breakfast club by accident. How do you do, how do you shoot yourself in the foot like this? <laughs> yeah, it's a weird movie. Breakfast Club is way better than Barbie movie. Yeah, especially if you stop it before the. <laughs> I just I just really like the Breakfast Club. Uh, stairs you watched more recently. Mm, I don't really remember any stairs. Um, I kind of want to give it like maybe like C minus for the for the bit of there are stairs in the dream house that she doesn't walk down. <laughs> I kind of want to like give it points, but not completely for that. Yeah. There's also I feel like when she's running away, she's in the big <coughs> like Hasbro building or Mattel building. And she's That's running like I think there are some stairs in there a little bit. Yeah, And it's like the Brazil that building is, is weird. It is doing Brazil. Yeah. I didn't think about that. I haven't seen Brazil since I was like I don't 15. know if it's specifically doing Brazil, but it feels like Brazil. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. It's also, weird how much Mattel decided that they wanted to depict their office as like gray and devoid of life. Yeah. And with like weird, scary cubicles. Yeah. Also, all the Ruth Handler stuff is deranged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, the Ruth Handler stuff would have worked better if she didn't come back at the end of the movie. If it was just she bumped into Ruth Handler and it's lightly implied to be her. Yeah, and then there's the part where it's like, I'm Ruth, the creator of Barbie. If she, if <clears throat> it was just she, she's like, goes into Ruth Handler's office in the Mattel building. And it's just like you randomly meet God, right? And you yeah. don't even realize in the moment that you've met God, but then, yeah. like, you as the audience kind of realize that's what's happening is that someone's meeting God. Yeah, if it was and then just, it just that, happens. Yeah. it would work. It would really work. Yeah. But then instead... But then instead, God comes and says, I'm God, I created you, and now you have surprised me, and because you've surprised me and done things even I couldn't imagine, you get to move on to be being your own human. Yeah. <laughs> you get to be a real boy, real yeah. girl, real doll. No, not that one. <laughs> um... And then women do be having vaginas. <laughs> women do be having vaginas. That's the sort of the yeah. defining. The thing is that m women have vaginas and men do not. And that's how you know the difference. <laughs> um, also, men like horses. <laughs> men really like horses. 
It's really funny. I just love that that's... I love that that is... This... I love that this is Beach Ken's hyperfixation is horses. Is that he just really likes horses. I had one friend who watched it and it was like, why is is Ken, like, really, like... You know, there's all these, like, images of masculinity and one of them is horses. Like, guys aren't really into horses. It's like a horse girl thing. And I'm like... That's the joke. I think the joke is that this one guy just thinks horses are cool. Yeah, he just... The whole joke is that Ken, Beach Ken, goes to the real world, sees cowboys, recognizes that cowboys is like a hyper-masculinity, but thinks that the horse is part of it. (laughs) The part where he calls horses man extenders is fucking hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Also, the bit where Michael Sarah just kills dudes. <laughs> Michael Sarah just becomes Michael like Sarah is very good in the movie. Michael Sarah just wakes up like I know kung fu. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing I watched, Rebel Moon Part One: A Child of Fire. Um, Nora, Crystal, and I did a podcast about it. Uh, I need to edit it and put it up. Um. Uh, so you haven't heard my thoughts about it yet, but um, I really, really like this movie. It's gotten a pretty negative reception as far as I can tell. But for me, the thing, I don't think that you would like it, but I think that if you watched it, there is something about it you could you could enjoy, which is that, like, there's no irony to it. There's no winking at the camera. There's no, you know, there's none of the stuff that I was just saying that I'm tired of in, in the Barbie movie. You were checking your phone. Could I? I was, I was grabbing my phone to pull it up because the thing that we're doing next is our top tens. Okay. And in the process, saw that somebody liked my, the Star Wars holiday special review of the Grandpa Wookiee watches a VR JOI video in the middle of this children's TV special. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. That's the thing that I marked happens. it as a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, you can you can go listen to what Crystal, Nora, and I thought of it more broadly. But uh, what I will say, you know, uh, more specifically, more broadly, like the thing I I appreciated that it is just like here's a new hope. You know, twenty twenty three, a new hope. That's all it is. It's not, you know. Like I say, it's not winking at the camera, it's not, like, inverting or subverting or doing anything with tropes and cliches, it is just, it is the classics, and I think it's done well, you know? And I I like that about the movie, and yeah. I would recommend this movie to basically anybody who likes adventure cinema, and I have been lightly perplexed as to, yeah, you know, to be fair, I understand why people don't like the movie, um, I just, I understand why people don't like, mm, better way to phrase it. I have criticisms of the movie, and if people didn't like the movie for the reasons that I would criticize it, I'd be like, I understand that. But I read reviews of this movie, and I'm like, people cannot understand one another, one another you know? I mentioned this on the episode, um... And I'll, I'll mention it here. There's a funny letterbox review that I read that has really stuck with me. Um, that is, this movie doesn't fail at being Edgelord Star Wars. It succeeds at being Bozo Dune, which is... 
is a really good way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> Bozo Dune is uh, this movie to a T, and that is why I love it. Um, yeah. I give it I give it five stars on Letterboxd, even though it's definitely only deserves four stars. I'm like, I was so like charmed by it. I was so taken with it that I gave it five, even though I kind of knew it wasn't a five star movie, you know? Yeah. That happens sometimes. Stairs? Stairs. Let's let's go ahead and give her an F. Okay. Maybe the extended cut will have better stairs. We'll see. We'll have to find out. But I don't really remember any stairs. Can't believe they've already fucking announced the Snyder cut. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) I. This is why I hate that man. No, the reason why I hate that man is three hundred. But man, three hundred's dog shit. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would also Watchmen. Watchmen, honestly, more maybe than three hundred. Maybe you know the what? part where they're going towards the Watchtower and then they play all along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix did just kill a part of me. Well, to be fair to Zach, to be fair to Zach, that's an Alan Moore special. Alan put that shit. In the comic. Al- Zack Snyder was just adapting it, as far as that part goes. I remember, there's a, there's a bit where, on the podcast, I'm talking and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, the, the weird thing is that, you know, he's infamous now for the Snyder Cut, but this has always been Zack Snyder's deal. There's the extended Sucker Punch, there's the extended Watchmen, and I was like, Crystal, I listen to a lot of the MCU Complete Me, you like the... Um, extended Watchmen better, don't you? And and Crystal's like, no, that movie sucks. <laughs> the movie does suck. Yeah, I haven't seen it since it was new, so I'm just gonna trust the both of you. Um, it's it can't be as bad as 300, though. It's worse because the comic is better. The comic is something that I care about. Oh, uh, you know what? That's fair. You know, like you can't ruin 300. Yeah, 300's already kind of bad. Yeah. And, and it's just a, like, dumb action movie, mm-hmm. you know? Really racist, dumb action movie. <sighs> God. But also that racism's also in the comic, so. Yeah. My biggest thing with a lot of Zack Snyder stuff is that I feel like sometimes he, like, adapts the comic too literally, like, uses the comic as the yeah the storyboard too much. Which is kind of to Rebel Moon's credit, because like I say, it's... It's doing a new hope. Like, it is a new hope plus seven samurai, like, to a T. Um, but because it can't actually adapt a new hope, because it's not actually a remake of a new hope, like, it has to, like, have a little wiggle room. I think that's where, like, the movie works for me the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, before we get to talking about Carol, um,. We're going to do top 10 movies that we saw for the first time in 2023. I.e. a real demonstration of how many more movies I've seen than Autumn going into the podcast. Generally. Yes. Because you're going to have a list of top to bottom bangers. And a lot of those I have already seen before. Yes. (laughs) I feel like my list is less bangers. Mm Um. I'll go first because my number 10 spot is a little wishy-washy. Okay. 
So number 10 on my letterbox list, uh, I have Carell here. I also, just before the podcast, remembered that I had never logged the Mad Fox on Letterboxd. And so I kind of want to pencil the Mad Fox in at number 10. Um, you know, Carell or the Mad Fox at number 10 for me. We did po- We are going to talk about Carell in a minute. We have done a podcast about the Mad Fox. You know, they both they both could go into this 10 slot for me, and I didn't want to have to make a decision. So there you go. There's my number 10. Uh, my number 10, which I think is on your list, but much lower, because mm-hmm. you did like 20 or something. Well, I made, basically, I made a list of, these are some of the best movies I saw. I have like 26 movies on this list right now, and then I just ranked them, and I'm going to read the yeah. top 10. But I'll I'll post this list. People can go see what my twenty fourth best movie of the year is. Um, my number ten is Skinnamarink. I did yeah. enjoy it. The ending is weak. Um, I f- it was a lot sadder to me than scary. But uh, there are some scary bits that still worked. But especially as it went on, I just became more sad than scared. Skinnamarink came in at fourteen for me. Really, yeah. really liked Skinnamarink. Um. um. I think it's the only 2023 movie on either of our lists, correct? And I think that's technically a 2022 movie, maybe. Yeah. Hard to tell because it didn't get it. Didn't it get leaked or something? I think it was at like some some festival festival maybe. or something, and that's why it's 2022. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine. I have Black God, White Devil. Um, a movie that has only grown. I think on the podcast, I'm like, I don't quite know what to make of this. And I still don't really know what to make of it in a lot of ways. But there's like a lot of images. There's a lot of stuff. Whenever I think about Black God, White Devil, I'm like, there's stuff to chew on. There's like, I'm going to watch that movie again in like 2025. Yeah, there's some announcement too that there's like, I think it's like for theatrical stuff or something. But I oh, feel like there's yeah. some sort of thing where there might get, be a release that happens that's yeah, going to be a I, lot better quality, which would be I nice. think maybe Janice is doing, like, uh, 4K restorations of all his movies or something. I think Janice is... Uh, yeah. Or, or it was some... connected to... The, the, the specific tweet I saw about it was some, like, New York film thing or something, but... Yeah, or yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of Martin Scorsese's world cinema stuff, because I know Scorsese is, like, a big, yeah. like... Anyway, I, I feel like it'll be easier for people to see. I mean, people can just go to Rare Film Mom right now and find it, but yeah. it'll be a better quality, too. I feel like I'm going to circle back to this movie in, like, 2025, and I'm be like, wow, that's one of the greats. But right now, I'm just kind of, like, stewing on it. I'm like, there's stuff here. That's, there's a lot to this. My number yeah. nine is Daisies. Uh, that came in uh 23 for me. I, yeah. I'm less hot on Daisies, but also, you know, I've got more bangers on my list. Yeah. Just by... Daisies um, is good though. Don't don't get it twisted. Daisies yeah. is real fucking good. And I've seen a lot of like, you know, Czech and Polish and stuff movies. So. Yeah, this is like the first movie from that part of the world that I'd seen really. Yeah. As far as I can think of. Seems like a fun the... energy to it. Yeah. There's, yeah. Especially having seen a, a fair I enjoyed how like constantly experimental and like yeah. playful it was, which is not yeah. always true. Yeah. Um it's like the thing that I want Breathless to be in some ways. Does that make yeah. sense? Mm, I, yeah, but also no. <laughs> um, just in like... Cars are made for going and not for stopping. <laughs> you know, maybe Breathless is all right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe... the, thing, the thing is, 
There's a lot of Breathless that I don't think is very good. Uh, but there are some just great moments in Breathless, and I do constantly think about cars are made for going, not for stopping. I'm kind of a Breathless hater because it was, like, really hyped up before I saw it as, like, oh, this is one of the most important movies ever made. And, like, now that I've had years and years to sit with not being a person who likes Breathless, I'm like, does Breathless go, though, actually? Does, it, does Breathless go? Parts, parts of it are pretty funny. Yeah. Anyway, number eight. Yep. I have a Snake of June. Um, this is placed a lot higher on mine, but I, I can see that. I can say, yes. <laughs> um, I'm gonna disable fade watched films so I can yeah. see these a little better. Um, yeah, Snake of June, fucking banger, dude. Yeah, we love erotic thrillers on this podcast. I think that's established. I think this is perhaps one might describe it as the second best erotic thriller ever made. <laughs> Perhaps you'll hear more about the best erotic thriller. The thing uh, is, so there's some of these that I will clearly disagree with because it's going to come up. Um, but there are other ones that you have ranked higher here that I agree with. I've just had seen them before. Mm-hmm. So. Your number eight, please. My number eight is Body Double, another erotic thriller. This is Brian De Palma. Um, oh, this one you saw and I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, th- this... Brian De Palma is just good at making movies about, like, uh, voyeurism, we, especially. We have to get you to watch Sisters next year. Yeah. Sisters fucking bangs. <laughs> um, did you have more to say about Body Double? I didn't mean to cut. No, it was just, it's, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, there's some, there's some, just some great moments in it. It's it's like well paced, you know, which is, yeah, it's one of those, it's not to the extent of basic instinct and not to get ahead of ourselves on some of the, mm-hmm. but, um, it is one of those like, oh man, when Iraq thrillers have like a little bit more of a budget, mm-hmm. they can like really fucking go. Yeah. Well, speaking of basic instinct, number seven, fucking Robocop motherfucker. This is the first movie I watched in 2023, and in some ways, it's I've just been chasing that high all year. RoboCop fucking bangs, and I had to cut. Oh, we got a we got a cat pr- trying to break in. Oh, okay, I thought someone was turning the doorknob. Um, I fucking love RoboCop. Um, one sec. You mean just gonna let cat in, or just cat want to come in? I don't know. Anyway, RoboCop. Anyway. It is um, great. I had to cut a bunch of the Dudes Rock movies from my list. Um, I, I was reflecting this week. I feel like the primary difference between my taste and your taste is that I have much more, much higher tolerance for Dudes Rock. Yeah. Um, here comes Cat. Whoa, here he comes. Oh, well, just close it. I'm just going to close it. Anyway. I had to cut Fire and Ice from my list because Fire and Ice did not hold up. Um, had to cut um, uh, oh, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage did not quite make make Venom 2, uh, Let There Be Carnage came in at 13 on my list. You know, there's just some dudes rock movies um, that I saw this year that didn't quite. Uh, what is it about podcasting where I start bleeding? Where is this blood coming from? Here. What did you do? This is the second podcast. The last podcast that I recorded, which was the holiday special, I also bled on. 
why are you bleeding? I don't know. It's also different than where I was bleeding before. But it's the it's same arm. over here, yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> Podcast make me bleed. Continue talking about <laughs> RoboCop. I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm done. RoboCop's okay. good. Um, Gundam F91. Man. Um, this year I watched a lot of fucking Gundam. Yeah, you watched so much Gundam this year. Um, and part of me, like, this might be a little high, but I wanted to, like, commemorate a little bit that I watched a bunch of Gundam. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a period where I had so few movies that I'd watched for the, like, had, had not seen before and I watched that I considered doing the second A New Translation movie just because it's the, it's, like, the most excited that I, I've been just watching something that's, like, rehashing old Gundam stuff because it suggests that something else could, could happen. Um, and then the third one does allow something else to happen, but it's stupid. <laughs> um, but it makes really smart choices for Zeta, a show that I'm not that big on. Mm. Um, but anyway, Gundam F91, um, it's just a lot of fucking fun. Uh, it's got it's a lot of so great delightful. moments. Um, I really enjoy like the ideas it has and how this like it ties in with like victory gundam and stuff as well yeah um it's just a good movie iron mask is fucking great character and i generally speaking um iron mask is like the part in um empire strikes back that i always return to because it's the most that you can see anakin skywalker in darth vader which is when he sits at the the table um waiting for like han solo and everybody to come in um and the, it's like set for a feast and he's just sitting there and he can't eat it because he's Darth Vader he can't take that mask off <laughs> um that specific scene is like if you took that Darth Vader and just made that the entire character of Darth Vader <laughs> that is Iron Mask man I have forgiven Theo Fairchild <laughs> um uh <laughs> what the fuck was I talking about I wanted to just add something on to what you Gun were saying Gun of F91 Captain F91, um, it's... Oh, I just... This kind of came up with Rebel Moon uh, on the export we did about it, too. Um, I generally would rather have... Given the choice between the two, I would rather have one movie where there's, like, this open-ended ending and there's all these questions and then the second movie never comes out. Then the second movie comes out and it resolves everything and it's kind of disappointing, you know? Yeah. I would rather have the disappointment of, oh man, if they'd, oh, if they'd made a sequel of this, it would have been so good, than the disappointment of they made a sequel to this and it wasn't good, you know? Yeah. So. Um, and also the sequel to Gundam F91 is kind of, I mean, I know there's that manga that I haven't read, but it is kind of Victory Gundam and Victory Gundam fucking whips. So, number six, Black Orpheus. Can I uh, butt in real quick and yeah. tell you my number six? Please do. Black Orpheus. Yeah. He goes into that fucking office building. Yeah. Movie rules. That movie's good. He looks back. He's not supposed to look back, but he does it. Yeah. And you know he's going to. You cause know. Because it's Orpheus. <sighs> Those kids sit on the cliff and they're like, oh, call me Orpheus now because I have Orpheus's guitar. Yeah. Man. Shall we do number five in unison? Just looking at... Yeah, we both have the same number five. Three, 
two, one, Wild, Wild at, at Heart. heart. <laughs> Which I think might be my favorite David Lynch movie now. I really like Blue Velvet. I really like Blue Velvet, and I really like... Um, Mulholland? I, yeah, Mulholland Drive. I really like... Wild at Heart might be the best one, though. But there's just an energy to Wild at Heart that does not exist in the other ones. Consider, consider, just for a moment, consider. Dune? That's just a different beast, though. Yeah. <laughs> Dune is That's... not our favorite David Lynch movie. David is... <laughs> Dune is the David Lynch movie that we like talking about the most. <laughs> um, Dune is I our... forgot to tell you about Paul Atreides. <laughs> Uh, Dune is our favorite, uh, what's the, what's Dino the, De Laurentiis. Yeah, Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. It truly, I, again, I had like, I, I forget if I told this on a podcast or not. I had coworkers talking about how the movie was like kind of stupid and like not that very, and like some of the stuff is kind of weird and funny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, David Lynch has a style of comedy. Keep it like think about Twin Peaks and the style of comedy in Twin Peaks in your head when you watch Dune and and you'll understand. I think it is intentionally a comedy. Yeah, I I think it is intentional. You don't have her fade out and then fade back in and say, "I forgot to tell you about Paul Atreides," right? When you're trying to be serious, you don't have the fucking giant alien get rolled in and then be like, "Nobody saw me." <laughs> Roll me back out to my giant spaceship. Later, I'm going. <laughs> later, I'm going to. I'm going to like do the. You know, and inhale spice or whatever, and then like have a weird trip as they fly through space. Anyway, it's kind of funny that we were supposed to talk about Wild Heart, and we instead started talking about Dune. <laughs> this is us. Wild Heart's rules, though. And her little dog, Toto. Yeah. There's that is one that thing the, about, is like... Is that the best Jack Nance scene? Mm. I mean, in a movie. Is that the best Jack Nance scene? That's the question I'm asking you. It is a really good one. But it's like... Yeah, mm, There's just so much I, in the show. I have an alternative pick for the best Jack Nance scene that is capital P problematic, and it's the bit where he's talking to Tajimura. <laughs> yeah. The thing is that Twin Peaks has some good Jack there's Nance a, stuff. There's a fish in the percolator. I think that the Wild at Heart Toto scene is better than Fish in the Percolator just because Fish in the Percolator has been driven into the dirt by people. Yeah, I don't even think it's the best Jack Nance scene in that episode. Like, him him calling Sheriff Truman to say she's she's dead, wrapped in plastic is better. There's there's better stuff with him and Catherine in, like, the next episode. Hats off to Jack Nance. Hats off to Jack Nance. Um, But, But certainly in a film, best Jack Nance scene. Number four? Number four. Um, okay, I just want you to understand, we're now entering, like, another tier of, like, best films of all time. Not just yeah. best films yeah. of the year, but these top four, these are, like, some of the all-time greats. Yeah, this is where it's like, I've seen all of these before, but you're correct. Number four, The Devils. Ken Russell's The Devils. This movie goes so fucking hard. If you have not seen Ken Russell's The Devils, you should see Ken Russell's The Devils. I would, I dare say it goes harder than How the Grinch Stole Christmas. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. No one gets burned alive in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> Man. The oh. Devils is good, dude. <laughs> I'm trying to remember that one. Um, I think I retweeted it. That one, the, the Devils tweet about, like, you go too hard, your bitch is too wild. Or <laughs> <laughs> your bitch is too bad. You smoke too different. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm not going to be able to find it in time. It's fine. What's your number four? Uh, the apartment I already talked about. Go yeah. listen to when I talked about it. Yeah, you already did, presumably. Unless you I are... had it, I had it lower on this list, and then I was looking at it, and I was like, no, I think I need to move this up. I would assume that you have listened to this, unless you're displaced in time in a really weird way, where you listen to podcasts out of order. Yeah, you have like a slaughterhouse five situation going on, but only for listening to podcasts. Yeah. Anyway, number three. Basic motherfucking instinct. I'm so sad we didn't get to do a podcast. I mean, about we're this. gonna do it with them. We'll do it. We'll do it. We have two M guesting lined up. Yeah, it's um, so funny that we were gonna do the fucking Psycho remake because one time in the Discord during the strike, Em and I were like, "We should watch that Psycho remake." <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think we were like, "We should watch that Psycho remake." Em was just like, "I want to watch that Psycho remake," and I was in the conversation, and Em was just like, "I'm coming onto the podcast to do this." Yeah. Um. My number three is Liquid Sky. Which one's that? That's the, like, weird uh, New York, like, punk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. with the, the woman um, who she also plays her rival that is a man that is just constantly dripping the, the you know, your trans mask swag is, is too, you know, <laughs> it's too loud. <laughs> They're going to kill you for this. Um, and truly just an entire movie about a woman who, so there's like an alien where anytime anyone, um, orgasms, the alien is trying Ollie. to get that energy, that orgasmic energy and feed off of it. Cause it's what the alien eats is like this kind of, um, like, you know, specific, specifically seeking out people who are, like, also are doing drugs and stuff for the same reason. It's, like, this kind of, like, brain stuff that it feeds off of. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, it's so intense when, when people orgasm that it will fully consume the person. The person will disappear. Um, and this woman just continues to go throughout her life um, encountering lots of people who are unable to make her come. Um, and... So she becomes convinced that she has a pussy that eats people, that just kills people when she has sex with them. <laughs> um, and then she, when she learns the truth, it's just like devastating that like all these people aren't dying because I have like this like pussy that destroys people. It's literally nobody's able to get me off and I just haven't come in like weeks. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's such a weird. It's higher on this list than it deserves, but it's such a specific to, like, the things that I'm interested in movie. Uh-huh. Um, just, like, a weird no-wave film with, like, kind of inexplicable cross-dressing in it and mm. uh, just, like, weird erotic thriller, weird sci-fi stuff happening. It's great. Sorry, I'm just going to take a quick selfie so people know. 
how I have to record the rest of this podcast. Um, number two. Number two, um, arguably the greatest film ever made, and yet only number two on this list, uh, Man with a Movie Camera. Yet the greatest film. <laughs> Shut up. No one says yet in the movie. Yeah. Um, People I don't, don't talk in the movie. I don't know what else. We did a podcast about it, and I truly don't know what else to say other than it is just like, the. there's nothing else like it. It's truly beautiful and inspiring and... Um, it's kind of fucked up how electric and, like, uh, wow, this is just doing shit it is, considering how old it is. Yeah. You know? There's just, like, a... It's it's beautiful. It's just, you know... um, It's everything the cinema should be and is not, you know? Yeah. Um, And maybe can't be in some ways. I don't know. We truly do be living in a capitalist society, and maybe if we just made more communist movies, we'd all become communist. Yeah. I don't think that's true, but it's nice to think. Maybe if we were a communist, we would be able to make movies that didn't have to uh, operate under a profit motive. Yeah, maybe. And then they could be all sorts of things. Maybe if we were communist, you wouldn't have to be cradled like a little baby for the rest of the podcast, would you? Would you? My number two is Black God, White Devil... Which we've already talked about. Yeah. But, but I really I really enjoyed that movie. Truly, like like I say, I think once I had a little time to think on it, once I revisited it, it could like rock it up a like best movies I rewatched or whatever. You know? Yeah. Um I just I just need some time to sit with it because there's a lot happening in it. Um that like I'm just I'm still digesting months later, you know? Yeah. Uh and number one easiest easiest pick on this whole fucking list i like as soon as because basically what i was doing is i was going through my letterboxd diary and just like add them to the list rank them and as soon as i put this on the list i just typed in one number one and i never had to look back smooth talk yeah one of the greatest movies ever made (laughs) holy shit how did i not see smooth talk for like a whole year after you saw smooth talk I'm so glad you made me do it because it's yeah. fucking smooth talk. Yeah. Tr- truly, like, uh, you, you know, man with a movie camera, I wish there were more movies like it. Smooth talk, there are a lot of movies like it and they're all fucking pretenders, you know? Yeah. They, uh, no no one can come at the throne. <laughs> Many will try. Um, It's really good. I should watch more by that director. I should too. Um, I know she, like, had that... Do we ever watch Desert Hearts? I don't remember. I don't think so. It's a... It, it's on our list of... It's it's not smooth talk level, but I do think it evokes something of smooth talk that I think you yeah. would uh, get a lot out of. I think, I, I think it's like a four-star yeah. movie that I think is well worth watching, you know? Um, my number one, A Snake of June... Yeah. That movie was really fucking good. Yeah. Um also highly recommend it. Uh in honestly like kind of similar ways to Liquid Sky. It's it's still a very different vibe and like it's not quite as sci-fi but there's still a little remember, weird. Remember the first like 30 minutes of the movie where she's having to like walk around Tokyo uh, with a vibrator on and she's like getting bossed around while being held for ransom and you're like, well, it can't get any crazier than this. And then the rest of the movie happens. Yeah. 
Snake of June is good. Do you like Snake of June, Ollie? Do you think Snake of June is good? Um, so that's our that's our top ten. Yeah. Um. So, I have not listened to Alf yet, but allegedly, M said on Alf that I had no idea what I was getting into with Carell. I don't know if they said it on Alf or if it was after we recorded, but yeah. I kind of feel like I knew what I was getting into with Carell. I kind of feel like I had. Uh, uh, there's a lot happening in this movie that I was not prepared for, but like broad strokes, I've kind of, I kind of had the right idea about Carell. I think because you had talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, I kind of knew what I was getting into a little bit, maybe. Uh, that's not to say that there's not, a, there's a lot of surprises, and you know, like I say, perhaps the tenth best movie I watched this year. Really, um, great movie. Um. Just to start us off, this is uh, 1982, directed by uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender, uh, also written by him and Burkhardt Driest. Uh, oh, it's based on uh, yeah, Jean Genet. Jean Genet is that no. the French movie you were? Well, yeah, the the like writer who then did that one. Um... Oh, what is it? I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Um, I talked about it on an episode. It's like, it has this specific, um, like, it's kind of a black and white French porno, but it's like about these two men in prison and everything, uh, that I thought was really interesting. Um, this has a certain similar energy, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, you can, you can see that there's a, uh, lineage here. Um, it seems like he was mostly a essayist and poet, so it's kind of... Oh, cinema, yeah. there we go. Um, Un Chant d'Amour? Yeah, Song of Love. Yeah. Um. So, okay. How to summarize Carol? I'm, I'm going to give you, like, the plot of Carol, which is not what Carol is. But I'm going to give you the plot just so you know kind of like a baseline, dear listener. Carol is a sailor who has arrived in the city of Brest. Um, he is um, looking to sell opium, uh, and he gets connected to um, Nono, the bartender, um, and um, <clears throat> in order to sell his opium, has to let himself get fucked in the ass by Nono. Probably wants to get fucked in the ass by Nono, a lot of uh, repressed homoeroticism ensues. There's this like whole thing where like Nono does this game, and uh, if you win the game, you get to fuck Nono's wife. Uh -huh. But if you lose, Nono fucks you. Yeah, and he Corral specifically cheats to lose. When I started talking about this, I'm like, oh, the plot's pretty simple. There's like a couple crimes. There's like a murder. And the plot is not that simple. The plot is really kind of unwieldy in like a good way like the yeah. plot is really all over the place and a lot of things are happening in a i mean that as a compliment because it, it all comes together in the end in a way that you kind of don't expect it to yeah. um but maybe maybe summarizing the plot of carol is a fool's game um i mean so some other things there's this uh man named robert mm -hmm. um who is played 
by the same actor who also plays Gilbert or or Gilbert or Jill. Uh huh. Um, Robert is Carol's brother. He has a maybe. mustache. The ending it gets weird with that. Too. The ending gets weird with that. But but Robert purports to be Carol's brother. He has a mustache. Gilbert and he does not have a mustache. Always wins against No No and is having sex with Nona's wife. Yes. Um yeah, and then Gilbert does not have a mustache. Gilbert um is a sort of down on his luck construction worker um who's getting made fun of by all the other construction workers. And at some point I don't remember why or what thought process goes through well, Gilbert's head, but at yeah. some point he's like, I'll show all them. I'll strip butt naked and let one of them fuck me in the ass to prove how masculine I am. And the other guys, one, don't fuck him in the ass, and two are like, you know. This- There's also this like weird, uh, in a way that's just like the energy of like this time and this kind of story and everything there's like this weird thing about like the passivity of bottoms basically mm-hmm. um and that like that like you like are you just r- receive pleasure but that to like be a top you have to like actually love a man to do that mm-hmm. carol um because f- for most of this movie carol after uh having sex with Nono, remains a bottom yeah, and Carol, um, it's mentioned in like narration at some point. And there's like layers to the narration. We should circle around to that in yeah. a moment. Um, Carol is mentioned as like, you know, he was just getting fucked, but now he wants to fuck Gilbert, and he realizes he has to truly love yeah, Gilbert. Yeah, so there's this part where, um, Carol kills a man related to the opium deal, mm-hmm. and is killed many times before. Uh, Gilbert has never murdered, but then murders Theo as part of this, like, whole harassment thing that we've been talking about. Yeah, he, like, kills the guy who was harassing him. Yeah. Um, and so then, both of these murders are ending up getting pinned on Jill. Mm-hmm. Um, and Corral is, like, kind of leaning into it. Mm-hmm. Because it's gonna help him get off like scot free. Yeah. It's also gonna help him get off in a different way. Yeah. But I meant like, you know, get away with murder. Mm-hmm. Um so there's this part though where he's like, Jill, I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna help you flee. Uh here, like so there's also the captain of the ship that Corral's a sailor on, um, loves Corral and also is like has a bunch of money and Corral knows about this. So then there's this thing where like Corral is helping Jill rob that man, the like the captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of it puts on the disguise to look like Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, puts on a fake mustache, and then Carol is and like, like I'm suit. having a sexual awakening about my brother right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Corral uh falls in love with this man in the way that he has not loved a man before. Uh-huh. Um he has loved pleasure he's gotten from men, but not loved a man. Yeah. Um, Supposedly. And so then this is the first time that he fucks a man. Uh-huh. He's a top. Does he fuck him? I think so. Or at least he wants to, and that he is significance. Wants, he wants to, and then he decides not to. And then, I think what it is, he kisses him. He's like, I want to fuck him. He steps away. 
This is all the end of the movie, by the way. Yeah. Um, he steps away, and then he's like, he goes back to kiss him one more time, and I think he wants to fuck him, but I don't think he does. I think he leaves, and he goes and tells No-No to tell the police he betrays him. Yeah. You know? Because each man kills the thing he loves. Which is a song, Lizzie Ann, No-No's wife, um, who's getting fucked by Robert's brother, is, she sings in the Robert, bar. Carol's brother. Carol's brother, Robert. Yes, thank you. Um, She's getting fucked. Uh, she is always singing in the bar. She only sings one song, though, and it goes, Each man kills the thing he loves. And she just kind of repeats that line over and over. And there's, like, verses in there, but people talk over them most of the verses. time. Yeah, people talk over the verse most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway... Uh, the, the, I guess, lieutenant, um, who's in love with Corral, becomes aware of all the stuff with, like, the murder and stuff, but then still protects him and is, like, Mm -hmm. uh, plays off like he doesn't know anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, there's, like, the captain of the ship, who I guess is the lieutenant, uh, has just been speaking into a tape recorder periodically, about how badly he wants to fuck Carol and how deeply in love with Carol he is. Yeah. Um. There's like a th- there's an aspect of there's this- a thing at at the very beginning when he was talking to the tape recorder about how much he loved Carol and wanted to fuck Carol mm. and how much like sailors are just a bunch of hot men like with their abs out all the time on the boat. Um, I described him as repressed, and you were like, I don't think that's what's happening here, but I think within this movie he is sexually repressed. Well, the thing that I didn't understand until much, much later that I think you elucidated to me, like, I didn't understand this until, like, 80 minutes into this 100-minute movie. But I I think you're right, is that there are lots of scenes where characters are monologuing, and it's supposed to be, like, you're... It's on a stage where... Yeah, there's 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 a constant theatricality to it in terms of, like theater like a play or a musical and i i think the filmic the cinematic way that you would do this typically is voiceover but there are instead characters monologuing and we're meant to understand that they're telling us the audience our thoughts but the other people in the scene cannot hear this yeah like like hamlet delivering to be or not to be other people in the room don't hear that you yeah. know well, that's a bad example because I don't think there is anyone else in the room, but you know. Yeah. Um and it yeah, it does this a, a lot throughout it. And, and sometimes it I think intentionally muddles up what is expressed and what's not expressed to other people. Yeah. Too. But yeah, th- there's another aspect of like there's the there's a there's also a way that like the the lieutenant recording the stuff in the tape, I think it's supposed to be like his internal thoughts and feelings that he's not expressing and he is repressed. But Corral is still able to physically go listen to the tapes. Yes. Like he's able to like uncover that secret still. Yes. And there's also like the theatrical element to it where like the boat that they come in on is like a very, f- it, it looks like a classic Hollywood set. It looks like it's slightly too small to be this, but you it would not look out of place in a like 50s movie, you know? Yeah. And I think it being slightly too small is to emphasize the 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 fakeness of it. Yeah. In a way that a the, movie would try to match. The sun is constantly just a 
glowing orb off the like like 20 feet off of the dock yes and 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 at times it feels like uh almost a matte painting or something when you're seeing it where you get you mm. get the sun and a lot of times they get close enough that you're just like fully aware of just like there's this, just this orb on set yeah and stuff and it's and, it's like intentionally playing with that and then like so you have this like boat that looks like a you know fake thing and then like there's some docks that are like three feet across and then at the top of the docks there's the two bars you know and that's like sort of the entire town yeah and there's a sort of like like the rooftop of like possibly one of the bars Uh uh-huh is like the place where like corral kills a man and takes a little sippy of his blood just a little little sippy of his blood little sippy washes his hands in the water yeah, and there's a there's an understanding. If you went and saw a production of Carell, you'd be like, "Oh, these are sort of you know, in the in the Brechtian sense, like evocative abstractions." Um, which is like this is like how almost all theater operates, but you know, Brecht uh, highlights this is that like these are sort of like you accept that what you're looking at is an abstraction. Um, of a of a living room, let's say, you know, when you when you see a play and it's in a living room, you don't you're not looking at a living room. Um, a film also abstracts these things, obviously, but ab- abstracts them in a different sort of language, you know. And it's often not always, but often attempting more verisimilitude. Yeah, more of a a sense of. It's sort of trying to trick you into thinking you're looking at a living room yeah. when you're looking at a set. And it, like, won't show you the ceiling, or sometimes it will, and that's, like, notable that you see the ceiling, or sometimes it will then intentionally show you that there's no ceiling and it's a set because they want to, like, break that fourth wall. Yeah. But, like, there... Often in a film, there is the fourth wall to break, and in, in Carol, there isn't. Yeah. And and it it feels like it's, like... It feels like it's sort of a, like, perversion of, like, the language that, like, classic Hollywood is speaking in. Yeah, so the other big thing for me with with Carell is that when I watch it, it feels like I'm watching a musical, even though they're, aside from Each Man Kills the Thing He Loves, there's, like, no musical numbers or anything. And even that... But there are still these moments where people will monologue and they will say, like, it's, like, this, like, really over-the-top, like, poetic... description of like the feelings like it feels like people will like recite poetry suddenly mm-hmm. that functions in the same way that a musical number would express the feelings that somebody is having the outpouring of feelings but here instead it is suddenly they're talking about like you know the passions of whatever and you know you know you know something that that you just you sort of unlocked something for me because when she sings each man kills the thing he loves. It's not so much a musical number as like the bits in Casablanca where Sam is playing the piano uh, in the bar and other people are having a conversation, you know? Yeah. And, and that sort of unlocked for me. I think the movie is playing a lot with Casablanca specifically, you know? I think that's sort of like... It, and Casablanca, both in and of itself, and as sort of like a thing that gets pastiched, and and there are imitators, and 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 as sort of a genre space, 
I think this is sort of in, I think it is trying to play around with your uh, audience expectations of what a movie that's kind of like Casablanca might look like, you know? Yeah. Um, But it's going in like this wholly other direction where, you know, Casablanca is about, you know, obviously very heterosexual stuff and very like, you know, love, you know, the personal thing for just you versus, you know, um, what is best for the world, society, you know, your duty, your honor. Um, instead, this is about like, what does it mean to love something? What does it mean to hate something? And how does that interact with society's like expectations around men should not be having sex with each other? You know, like, um, men are only able to, in sort of the worldview of the film, um, you know, men are only able to express themselves through violence. There's a lot of similarities between sex and violence. And so how does like sex between men interact with violence between men? You know, how are those things? And, 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 you know, there's no there's no capital P point to it. There's no moral to the end of this. It's just like, here's a story about these men that are having these feelings and everything kind of blows up and goes wrong. And, you know, um, I, I like that about it. I like that. It's not making a point. It's just sort of like the, these characters feel realized and are ping ponging off one another. And what's the situation that comes out of, you You know, you put the, all these people in this pressure cooker, you know? Yeah. Um, it is, I'm, I really enjoy this movie. I and mean, we should talk also about the, so there is that layer of like, so there's the normal people talking to each other. Mm-hmm. There's the people will monologue while other people are on screen, but other characters don't seem to oh, respond yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. There's, there's, there's also a narrator. The tape recorder. There's the tape recorder. And then I thought the tape recorder was the voiceover for at first. But no, there is another guy who is just, there is a sort of like abstract, God's eye view, third person omniscient narrator who is delivering the closest you get to truth in the movie that now as we're talking, like while watching it, I'm just like, Oh, the things that this guy is saying are true. And I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think the movie really wants you to question whether or not the things that this guy is saying are true. Yeah. Or, 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 or mm, like it's easy in the moment to accept that this narrator is delivering the truth of the situation. But, you know, with so much other, like, weirdness and unsaid feelings and what even is art, what even is cinema, like, maybe you should be a little more questionable of, like, well, this thing that's sort of outside the movie, it must be truth. There's a certain, and it's like, it's not like, it's like sort of brought up, but it's not hammered home. It's like brought in as a theme of, like... At a certain point, the film wants to be more than art because it wants to be about, like, actual human beings in some way, mm. while also being this, like, weird, abstracted, very theatrical um, thing, right? Mm. But it also wants to, like, touch on that, like, 
really what it wants to talk about is something that's like outside the bounds of what art can even really truly do. Yeah, there's um, like there's like a little bit at the end about what art is, and, and, and I wish I wish I could remember some of that a little better because I would like to incorporate it into this conversation, but I feel like I don't remember how that goes a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if the um um this this. You Google Carol quotes. Oh, can you go back for just a moment? Because I thought this was a really good line. I'm on the brink of a shame from which no man ever rises, but only in that shame will I find my everlasting peace. I'm so weak, I have been conquered. That's Carell. Um, uh, I feel like that really distills like what the movie's about. Um, yeah. And I wish I could couch it in its proper context a little bit. Yeah, so then in addition to the narrator voice... Mm-hmm. You also get these parts where the screen, like, blooms out into just pure white with, like, black text over it Mm -hmm. that will be, like, a quote. So, like, towards the end, there's one from Jean Genet, but there's quotes from other people, or there's a few parts where it's specifically talking about Carell, and I don't know if it's a quote from the book or if it's something Fassbender's doing to, like, put it together, but yeah, it's, that's, like, also another layer of, like, narration and... Mm-hmm. And discussion happening. Um, There's also um, uh, go down to the bottom for just a moment. Um, this quote from the movie: "I acknowledge the this is Carol. Um, I acknowledge the existence of authority in Mario. I note his objective gestures. Objectivity is the companion of total power. It holds sway over unchallengeable moral authority. It's a perfect social organization." This is a thing that Carol says in the movie that is sort of like going to be his philosophy toward life throughout most of it. I don't fucking understand what he's saying here at all. And I feel like because this this moment is very early in the movie. And I feel like maybe if I watch it knowing where the movie is going, I still don't think I'm going to understand what this means, but I can sort of hopefully start to piece together what it might mean you 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 almost you can't see what this means until you have the whole thing in your head and then you can sort of work backward to this and even then i don't know like i say just reading it out loud in this moment i don't know what the fuck this means you know i mean i think some of it is like because this is specifically talking about the idea of, like, authority and power. Mm-hmm. And the way that that is linked to, like, objectivity, not, like... Like, objectivity is in, like, something is objective. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the the assertion of the objective over the subjective is a thing that enables a greater level of authority. Because now you have, like... If you have established objectivity and truth Mm -hmm. then there's like a way that you can use that to control people and you control those people not through the authority of like an individual but rather through the authority of the truth yeah and and i guess you know to speak about mario specifically mario is a character in the movie we're introduced to him um he is in nono's bar in like a cruising getup. And I mean cruising the movie that we just recently watched, where he's in, like, an exaggerated policeman's hat. He's in, like, a leather coat that's supposed to look like an officer's uniform, but it's, like, 
the 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 sleeves are cut off you know he looks like a fake gay he looks like a gay stripper cop you know yeah um and then as the movie goes on you realize no he's also actually a cop and when he's wearing his sort of detective's outfit like his actual cop clothes he is almost unrecognizable as a different character his his actions are totally separate because when he's in the bar, he's listening to Carol and Nono make this um, opium deal, and he doesn't mind. But when he's in his cop, his for real cop clothes, he's investigating a murder, and he's taking this very seriously, and he's investigating a mugging that happens, you know? Yeah. And and so, like these different outfits he wears, he becomes a his his identity becomes flexible. Please do not open the Carol TV tropes page. I beg of you. <laughs> not doing it on the podcast, but I have to know. I beg of you. <laughs> um, I don't want to get banned from the Emerald Mapping Discord. Um, Ollie, you're gonna fall off my lap here pretty soon, my young yeah. friend. I'm I'm doing my best to support you, but you're you're slipping and sliding. Well. Yeah, Krell. It truly just, uh, you know, there incredible, goes. incredible. Uh, yeah, I kind of it's it is like a thing you have to see to to really and, and 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 really like I I do feel like especially with like some of the quotes that show up, like the text pieces that show up. That's another thing that I feel like until I watch the movie a second time, I just don't have the the sort of context to piece apart take apart what these mean and that's like fine that's like a good thing for a movie to be i feel like um i i'm happy that i walked away from this movie with more questions about what the movie is than answers you know um um also you know this is a this is a podcast about aesthetics and, and just the simple pleasures of watching a movie I love every time in this movie that a switchblade is a stand-in for an erection. I love the absolutely insane Carell hand job that he gives to Mario at one point where he's like he's like Mario's pants are unzipped but still buttoned. Carol has reached in and he's sort of like he's like trying to perpendicular to where he's I He's like think, trying to start a lawnmower. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he'll like Jerk, jerk, yeah, jerk, and and I can't stress enough. I think his hand is perpendicular to where Mario's penis should be. Now maybe he's sort of, and you know, if maybe Mario's dick is turned to the side and he's kind of smushed up in the pants, that sort of makes sense. You know, is it a banana? Or are you happy to see me? Like, yeah, like I could, I could see it, but it's a. The weirdest hand job I've ever witnessed. <laughs> um, one thing that I I like hadn't fully paid attention to the first time I watched it is how uh, all the walls are paper thin, like literally. Yeah, like you you can constantly see there'll be like a little bit of like where the frame is and stuff, and it'll be like opaque there, but then it's like transparent. So like if somebody's like coming to the room. You will see them through the wall. 
When mm. Nono, like, fucks Corral, uh-huh. you just see everyone walking by outside through the, the transparent walls. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about that scene because it's interesting because, like, there's, like, really calling attention to the theatricality of it. Because there's, like, windows in Nono's room. And people are just constantly walking past. So, presumably, when you when they fuck, like, you're going... People are just going to walk past and be like, oh, no, no, it's fucking in there. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um, But then the moment of them having sex, you get these, like, extreme, intense close-ups that have never happened in the movie and won't happen again that are, like, there's, like, Vaseline on the lens. There's Vaseline all over these men. They're sweaty. They're glistening. And there's, like, a there's like a soft amber glow over everything and it's tender as he just fucks the shit out of Corral. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's just like this moment that feels like it comes out of another movie, um, purposefully so, that just feels, it feels like it's a, like a last tango in Paris moment or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just different from what the movie has been. Um, and it's really good. Um, Another, um, <clears throat> Ollie, you are making my life so difficult. Um, there's something else, um, just like an aesthetic thing, but I'm starting to lose my voice again, so maybe I just need to... Yeah. Uh, I mean, the colors throughout it are great. Colors throughout are great. Um, yeah. The, there's so much, like, use of mirrors as well. Yeah. It's really... Yeah. And there's there's some quote that goes up as well about like man viewing himself or something that sort of ties into it. But there's also a way that whenever somebody talks to a mirror, it seems like that's like very clearly them monologuing their thoughts or feelings and not talking to somebody. Oh yeah, there's the bit where Lizanne, um, it's revealed that Robert is not fucking Lizanne, that he's laying in bed jerking off while she sort of joi's him. But it's, like, such a weird scene because she's talking into the mirror about how much she resents Robert. Um, and he's he's just, like, what one, handjobs in this movie are fucking weird because he does not, that is not how any human has ever masturbated in order to have a good time. The thing that he's doing to his penis seems unpleasant and unlubricated. Um... <laughs> But but regardless, he seems to be enjoying himself, and I just, listen, there's, I understand the appeal of being demeaned while having sex, but she's like, talking about, I find your soul so empty, you are a vacuous human being, and not like you're a bad little boy or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> She's not like dirty talking. She's like, you personalityless son of a whore or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot, there's, I feel like I still have like a lot of things I want to talk about, but I'm kind of losing my voice and I kind of feel like I hit the most important stuff. So, yeah. And it really is like a, a movie where, I mean, I, I was saying some, like, quote from Fassbender about how he didn't, he didn't want to do 
Like, he intentionally made the story of the book more confusing and, like, jumbled it all up because he thought that the story was boring and not the thing worth focusing on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is just this way that, like, so much of what's happening is not anything really about plot. Mm-hmm. Other than occasionally themes will emerge. But the way that it's also doing it, it's focused so much on those themes that the plot feels incidental. Mm -hmm. Even when the plot is pointing towards them or developing them in some way, the plot itself still feels so incidental. Um, And so it's one of those movies that it's just like, you just like watch it and ruminate on it because so much shit happens. Yeah. Um, I want to, I started to read this Fassbender quote from the production on Wikipedia. Um, He apparently d- straight up didn't like the book sometimes, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. Um, we didn't even talk about how when they come into port, the first thing you see are just these massive dick statues. <laughs> yeah. That just sort of adorn the town. <laughs> oh, the other thing I wanted to briefly mention was, um, and this can tie into our stairwell reading here. I really like speaking about, you know, the theatricality of it, you know, mentioning like the paper thin walls and that you can see people walking past Nono's room. There's a lot happening on like different planes in this movie. And specifically, like, oftentimes it is something as simple as there are characters doing things in the back or there are extras doing things in the background. There are just like two men in, like, French colonial, like, Tintin hats. Um, not that Tintin wears a hat, but it's just the sort of thing I associate yeah. it with. Uh, they just, like, walk around the set constantly, and they're not in the movie, There's really. just a dude with a motorcycle who just chills on the pier sometimes? Yeah. Um, and there's, like, different, like, you know, planes to everything, and one of the, one of the best moments in the whole movie, I think, is Carol and Mario walk out of the bar... And and they're talking, and um, the the man who's in love with Carell, the captain, the lieutenant, he sees Carell and Mario walk out of the bar, and so you can see him, and he's I, I identify he's out of focus, but you can identify him because he's got this silly cape he wears everywhere. Yeah. Um, and there's this massive staircase that doesn't seem to go anywhere. <laughs> And he wants to watch them have the conversation, so he just starts ascending the staircase in the background of the shot. And you could almost miss it, except for it's so, despite being out of focus, so visually arresting because a man in a cape is back there, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and the the way it's playing with foreground and background and all these sorts of things, I just think are really, you know, inspired choices, Um from Fassbender that I just think are really, really good. Um, yeah. And so for that reason, I want to give it an S for stairs because it's very funny to have a man on a cape ascend this a ma- truly massive set of stairs yeah. in the background of a shot. Also, the the like scene where Corral finds the tape and he's like on the stairs going up to it and then uh-huh. um, the lieutenant goes and finds Corral with the tape and realizes Corral now knows. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the police come to interrogate him about... Because he got shot with with the robbing of the, the money and stuff. Or there's, like, the, the... There's, like, a little, like, den of graffiti that the captain goes into every day. Um, and that's, like, under a staircase. And that's where he gets mugged by 
Gilbert wearing yeah. Robert's mustache and looking like Robert. Um, also, they go down some stairs into the area where uh, Corell has Gilbert put on the, the mustache. And then also, like, the part where he really wants to fuck him and they, like, kiss and everything. Mm-hmm. There's, like, the grates and you're, like, looking down. and there's, like, Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah, yeah that's good. Good movie. We're watching Barry Lyndon next. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee, co-host at autumnal coffee, export odd.io. Uh, you can find me at Foxfomnia on Twitter and also other social media stuff, but I mostly just use Twitter. Uh, go listen to my other podcasts. Listen to the uh, Ghost Divers New Year special if you haven't. Um, also listen to the Nana season. I think we've been doing very good work. Um, I think it's exceptional. I think it's one of the best seasons you've done. Um, listen to Pondering Putan. And listen to Around the Long Fire, the continually uh, after show and pre-show for both Ornate Stairwells and VoIP Life. Specifically those two podcasters, yeah. for some reason. You I have mean, to... I know why Ornate Stairwells, and it's just because Em and I want to talk about movies, too. But You have to pay $10 to understand uh, Around the Long Fire, but only sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And not because sometimes... And also, if you pay $10 to listen to VoIP Life, you do have to listen to Around the Long Fire to sometimes understand it. Yeah. <laughs> but only sometimes. There's a multiverse of podcasts. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a bit on um, the export that just... that will be going up soon that we recorded with uh, Crystal, where I, I literally... I'm like, pay us $1... On the Patreon, partly because you get access to a bunch of the shows early, partly because then you get it all kind of in one place for the most part. You don't get Ghost Divers there, but you get almost everything just in one spot, and then you don't have to subscribe to so many different feeds to keep up with us. I think that's worth a dollar. Yeah. Stuff will still sometimes weirdly come out of order. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the nature of time. Yeah, it's just podcasts. Yeah. Um, it is funny to me that, like, uh, Em and I want people to listen to Around the Long Fire, and I feel like Em in particular has just brute forced it by making it tied into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, ha- I'm, I'm still behind on Elf as I was last time. I'm catching up on podcasts, but I, I took a little break to, li- I listened to an audiobook. Um, yeah. I'm extremely behind on podcasts because I'm not working. Let me see where I'm at. So my chief podcasting listening time is when I'm at work, uh, and I haven't been at work for days. The I, I'm current on podcasts as of eleven seventeen, so six weeks ago, which is more current than I was the last time we recorded this podcast, but not by much. Yeah. Oh, I think that's it. I think that's it. <sighs> not a hot cheese reel. Nanahashi is real.
back on the rack The little goose is dead The bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled That velvet lines The black box The little goose is dead
Wells, a podcast about being fucking sleepy. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. (laughs) (laughs) You fucked up the bit. (laughs) You fucked up the bit. Fuck you. I just heard a different bit, which was that I was doing ASMR. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Welcome. God fucking damn it. Get that ASMR shit. Get to ASMR on Yeti. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Welcome to Ornate Sleepy Wells. I'm Autumn. Don't, don't spell the chai. Oh, shit. I'm going to spell the chai. <laughs> here. Here. This, this, is do- the this is we're doing ASMR, so I'm going to take a quick I have not drunk any of this, and every time we look at it, it's lower. You sound like you're drunk. Do you know that? It's dry. Some real folly. <laughs> what a stupid fucking podcast we make. Do we actually have much for the non Oh, we have to do the spreadsheet, so we at least have yeah, the you, doing you, the spreadsheet one. Let me pull up. I don't. I watched Rebel Moon. What else have I watched? You like um, did a podcast about that too, though. So yeah, I'll mention it. Um. I think it gets an F for stairs. Um, there was something I texted you about getting a D minus for stairs. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, you texting me? That never happens. I text you every fucking day, jackass. <laughs> Multiple times a day. Um. Okay. Okay. I've got Barbie and Rebel Moon Part One: Child of Fire. I've watched so much shit since we last recorded. Yeah, but it's all like children's movies. That sounds so much more dismissive than I mean it. Um, <laughs> well, let me just start in. People will have heard all of this already. Yeah. Um, why am I not doing this? Though? It's because we're out of practice. We don't do this anymore. Yep. I was going to say shit as I put it in. People have already heard all of this, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Excuse me. Oh, I can rate the stairs from Camarty High School the movie. Oh, yeah. Because when this comes out, I'm just going to do this, like, next Tuesday. Okay. So that holiday special will be up. People will know. People will know. Then our next movie is Barry Lyndon. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Well, people who listen to Ghost Divers will know, I suppose. Well, Which... no, but we'll we'll say at the end of this that we're doing Barry Lyndon next. Okay, okay, yeah. So, so okay, well, yeah, I'll just... I won't go through the whole thing here because they'll have just recently heard it, presumably. So, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, uh, Yamaguchi Yudai. I have mostly done a good job of sitting on that and not even... Like, not even saying, ooh, because my, my typical move is like, ooh, I've got a secret. Like, I'm always like, if I know some shit, I'm so bad at keeping secrets, you know? Yeah. But, but for the most part, I feel like I've done a good job at, like, sitting on my hands with this and just not saying shit. Um, but there was definitely something a couple days ago that I think M and Jackson, well, Probably M, because I don't think Jackson is a listener of Ghost Divers. Um, like, I, I think one or two people could have figured it out. Um, which is a bummer, because I feel like it's the most fun to keep secrets from M, because they're the one that's going to react to the podcast the most vocally. <laughs> yeah. Um... um man. We're, I'm, we're just going to... New York. New York. Uh, this was also Chris Columbus. I know that. Hey, uh, you're going to talk about this in a minute. Yeah. Um, when we get to the real episode. Can I just say now? Because, you know what? I'll save this take. I won't say this in the main episode. So you'll only hear this if you're a true fan. I think Elf fucking sucks. Yeah. I think Elf is a dog shit movie. <laughs> um... My main feeling about it, watching it, and I I feel like there are people who do know this. Like, there's two types of people who like Elf. Mm-hmm. One person knows this, which is that it's basically just a Hallmark holiday movie. It just has Will Ferrell in it. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, the basic premise of, like... Yeah. You know, it's, like, slightly switched around, but, like... Because often... But, like, there's the guy who's really into Christmas, and then is, like, you know... The the girl who's like not super into Christmas, but then he like teaches her to sing or you know to yeah. or to feel happy singing. Yeah, you know. Um, and there's like the dad who learns the true meaning of Christmas. Like, uh-huh. and I know that a lot of Christmas movies are like this, but like specifically like the beats, like the way that the the romantic comedy of it works mm-hmm. is just Hallmark Hallmark holiday movie. And so they're the people who really like Hallmark holiday movie, and I'm like, yeah, it's a fine one of those, you know. I would watch any Hallmark holiday movie over Elf any day of the week. But then there's the people who think that Elf is, like, truly special, and I'm like, there's so many other movies that are like this. I, I haven't... It's been a couple of years, because Mom and I will watch Hallmark holiday movies together, but we haven't done the holidays together since... There's this weird thing happening 2019, with 2019, maybe? Not to, not to, like, interrupt you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this weird thing that's happening where I feel like um, Ponyho has somehow become a Christmas movie for my child. Interesting. I think my kid thinks of Ponyo as a Christmas movie for some reason. Interesting. Has, has, what what Ghibli movies has your kid seen yet so far? Mm, Kiki's. Mm-hmm. Um. Totoro. Totoro. Yeah. Um. The saddest. Uh. Yeah. Is I feel like there's been like one or two others. I don't remember. I don't think we've done Spirited Away yet. Yeah, I feel like Spirited Away is just slightly too boring for them right now. But I think in a couple of years it'll hit like a freight train, you know. Um, 
Is Totoro the best Miyazaki movie? No, that's Nausicaa. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize Chuck Jones worked on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, let alone was the one of the directors. Yeah. Um, there's Carol, which we, we watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special. Right. I should go and log that on Letterboxd while we're here. Um... Um, this is Steve Binder and David Acomba. 97, this is not 97 fucking minutes. I watched it. I'm pretty sure it's 97 minutes. No, it was like two fucking hours. I'm pretty sure it's 97 minutes. I'm pretty sure it was two fucking hours of my life. That's the part where it's two hours of your life is probably true, but I'm gonna blow your fucking mind right now. Star Wars Holiday Special. You gotta show me good copy. Nice copy. One thirty-seven. Oh, somebody did do the AI sixty FPS full thing. Thank- oh, because that looks like ass. I bet it looks awful. Um, Billy Wilder. Man, you know what movie fucking rocks? Hmm. The Apartment. i never seen it. We were talking- I thought I had seen it. We'll, we'll, we'll get in. I guess I can say this part here. This is, you know, you're, you've listened, you've got, you've made it this far. Yeah. I'm not going to say this on the main podcast. Um, I fucking hate Roman Polanski, like, as a man. I, like, I fucking hate him mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um... I also had a a professor who did, like, a lot of Central European and, like, Eastern European cinema stuff. I've seen a lot of films, especially from Poland, his specialty. There are some fucking banger Roman Polanski movies, and I hate that, like, I can't just unequivocally enjoy them anymore. Yeah. So it's been a really long time since I've watched The Apartment Trilogy, which is, um, why am I drawing a blank on the first one? Um, let me... They all of them are good, but I for some reason I'm forgetting the first one right now because again it's been so long since I've watched them. Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, The Tenant, and sometimes people will say The Apartment, and I'll think in my head The Tenant. I believe so. I've never seen any Polanski movies actually because I was sort of aware of his whole thing. Like yeah. I've seen a bunch of Woody Allen movies because I didn't really know. Until, you know, by the time I'd seen a bunch of them. But I knew about Polanski before, um, uh, before that. I believe The Tenant is the one where I saw the trailer for that movie one time, where they do, somebody says, nobody does it to you like Roman Polanski, which I felt like was a really gross joke to be making in 1976. I feel like... Yeah. I feel like that is trading on um star text for lack of a better term that is a uh, gross. That mm-hmm. is what I always think of when I think of the tenant. Um I don't know why I saw this on Badass Digest at some point. I don't remember why. Or sorry, Birth Movies Death. Whatever. Fuck Devin <sighs> Ferracci. <laughs> you watched so many movies, Jesus. Yeah. It's Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown. Oh, you know what else I didn't log on my, um, uh, letterboxed? What? Uh, Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm... 
you know what? I actually did log it on my letterbox when I was trying to log the Star Wars Holiday Special and I got distracted. Um. Okay, so what were the uh, what were the movies that you have now that I've typed everything out? Uh, Barbie and oh, I just had the other one. Barbie. Barbie and um, do we have the director on Barbie anywhere? Probably not because you watched Barbie during the strike. Yeah, and I don't think we actually put stuff in. Barbie, directed by Greta Gerwig, released in 2023. Man, I should have remembered it as Greta Gerwig, but... I I wish we had M on this week. I think we're going to have M on in January, but I wish we had M on this week so the two of us could go hog wild on Barbie, because... Yeah. I... Whatever. We'll, We'll have already talked about it in a minute. And then I'll let you finish your sip here. Rebel Moon dash part one colon a child of fire. Man, we watched Carol and the Star Wars holiday special in one day. Yeah. Directed is... by Big Z. Is it is it is it Zach or Zach? Is Zach. Or Zach. Zach. Okay. Um, 2023. Yeah. Zach. Zach. And Zach. Yeah. 2023. If you listen to that podcast yet, I wouldn't blame you if you haven't. No. On that podcast, I learned that they have already announced the Snyder Cut of Rebel Moon Part 1 of Child of Fire. Fuck off. They, so... <laughs> what I learned on that podcast... What I learned before we watched the movie... Nora told me they've already announced part two of this movie. So part two of Rebel Moon part uh, of Rebel Moon is coming out in April. Now, the movie that I watched was rated PG-13. Yeah. So there will be an extended cut at some point later next year, which will be rated R. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to it because I felt like the thing missing from um, that movie was um, like character development a little bit. And so I'm honestly kind of looking forward to um, uh, seeing the extended version. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble talking while you do this part. I have more opinions about some of these movies you've listed, so... I kind of want to like, yeah. But well, we'll have already opined on the movie, so I'm trying to think of other things to talk about. I've been playing some Alan Wake. You ever play Alan Wake? No. Um, it's surprisingly good, which is like weird because people like Alan Wake, obviously, you know. So it's kind of weird for me to say it's surprisingly good. The reputation that it has, I'm honestly, you just talk about all these Christmas movies and then I'll talk about Barbie and Rebel Moon at the end. I feel like that's the way to do it. Yeah, especially because a lot of those are going to be fairly quick. Yeah. Um, and so, I I was surprised because the way people talk about it, it's like, it sounded like it was going to be, I don't know, frustrating to me, I guess, in like a sort of like, oh, this is a a video game of a different era. There's a lot of like 
smoothness to games now that is not ironed out of this game. There's going to be a lot of rough edges that I'm not going to enjoy or whatever. But um, I don't know. I'm just really enjoying Alan Wake. Um, I don't have a ton to say about it if you haven't played it and I'm only halfway through, you know? Yeah. But I'm really enjoying it, and it certainly has filled up about two minutes of podcasting time, so that's a big... Stanley Kubrick. No, I was just, I was just listening to you. Um, My phone... I turned off my alarm for this week, but... I, I was going to ask you when did it come out, but... I want to say 2011. I'm playing the remastered version. No, no. When did, when did Barry Lyndon come out? Oh, yeah, yeah. Barry Lyndon. I, I genuinely have no idea. Um, I know, like... 1975. I don't... I I feel not super familiar with Kubrick's filmography, broadly speaking. What have I seen? Stanley Kubrick filmography. Films. Um, so I've seen The Killing, which is his first feature, I believe. I think these other two... Well, okay, maybe they're... they're... I think Killer's Kiss is the one that I've seen. I, I mix them up because they're... The Killing so... is the heist one. Killer. I think Killer's Kiss is the one that has the big fight at the end in the... Like, with all the mannequins. So, 1956 is The Killing. I've seen that. I have not seen Paths of Glory. I've not I've seen, seen Paths of Glory. I've seen Spartacus. I've seen Lolita. I've seen Doctor Strangelove. I have seen Doctor Strangelove multiple times. Um, I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. I have obviously seen 2001 A Space okay. Odyssey. <laughs> that movie fucking rules. That, fucking, that movie fucking rules. Um, a Clockwork Orange. So, I have not seen it because I am a tremendous fan of the novel A Clockwork Orange. And... um. The film sticks with the fucked up American ending um, that I don't like. Do you know about this? Not really. When the novel came out in America, they cut the last chapter so that it has a dark ending rather than a sort of slightly upbeat, slightly ambiguous ending of like, did the brainwashing work on him after all or something? I like the original ending quite a bit. And apparently Kubrick didn't even know about the original ending, so he shoots it as it was released in America, and I think that ending's fucking bad. So I've seen clips, I kind of know the visual style of it, I've seen some of the iconic moments, but I have not yeah. seen the full Kubrick Clockwork Orange. 75, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon, I'll have seen that soon. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but... what He did uncredited lighting design on The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, it's fucking weird that that's in there. Uh... Okay, yeah. sure. Then obviously The Shining, I've seen Full Metal Jacket, I've seen, and I have not seen Eyes Wide Shut. Oh god, Eyes Wide Shut fucks. <laughs> I've heard I mean, this. I've heard that it fucks. <laughs> I mean, there's ways where it doesn't in that sense, but mm -hmm. yeah. I have heard that Eyes Wide Shut fucks. You know what else I've there seen? There is fucking an Eyes Wide Shut, but also, mm -hmm. there's a... What is it? If it's not a spoiler, what is that movie about? Because I know there's like weird sex parties and Tom Cruise. I don't actually, like... Like, if you were, like... it, It's 1999. Hey, Autumn! Come to the theater with me this weekend. There's a new Stanley Kubrick movie. It's about... Um... A depressed couple who's kind of having bad sex, trying to spice things up, and accidentally getting involved in a cult. Okay, okay, sure. Kinda. That's that's interesting considering it stars yeah. a real life cultist. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. And I would say specifically that the guy is really bad at sex. That's part of the problem. But mm. yeah, many such films. There's a weird way that Tom Cruise works 
like with the way that like there's like this this movie version of Tom Cruise where he's really cool, but actually like Tom Cruise the man is not. Uh-huh. And Eyes Wide Shut is like a, a movie that is like showing you Tom Cruise the man and not Tom Cruise the like image that he likes to project in his movies that he's really cool. But still has that energy of he's trying to project to project to that and it just makes him more pitiful and like a a and little weenie throughout the movie. In my opinion. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie, or that, not that movie, that clip that I'd kind of forgotten about until I was reminded of it some for some reason this week? Somebody was talking about the new Mission Impossible movie, or the new, what's the other movie he did this year? He did, there were two Tom Cruise movies this year. It's a Top when Gun. Did, yeah, Top did, Gun. was the Top Gun this year? I think so. The Top Gun. Um... Somebody was talking about Top Gun, and I, I was reminded of that clip um, where he's doing an interview, and some guy plays a little prank where he's got, like, a microphone, but the microphone squirts water at Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise loses his shit on this guy. He's like, that's fucking rude. Do you know how much I'm worth? Or whatever. <laughs> I, I That is unprofessional, and I will not go on with this interview. Or whatever. And it's like a fucking press junket. It's like yeah. Tom Cruise is posted up in some hotel room, um, and people are coming through and asking him if he wears wigs. Uh, or whatever, you know. <laughs> when will you wear wigs? <laughs> you know what's really funny about that? What? Is I didn't know until this year that that was um, Mary... The actor playing Mary doing... <laughs> you didn't know that? And so I thought that was a random member of the press who was just fucking around with Elijah Wood. I didn't realize that was... You his... didn't realize the entire time that it was like they were friends from doing Lord of the Rings and he's specifically <laughs> pranking his his co-star. Yeah. It's I like didn't... actor friend. I thought... They're in the same... I didn't realize he's fucking around with his buddy. I thought that was... Fuck. I thought that was some random journalist who's just like... I'm going to fuck with Elijah Wood today. <laughs> we have to start the podcast or else we're going to record an hour about this. So <laughs> We're only 20 minutes in. Come on. This is a decent yeah. non-homophobia zone. Anything else you've been doing that's not? You just marked it, so yeah. I guess we're done here. <coughs> coughing. I've been coughing. I've been watching a toddler. There was Christmas. Yeah. Yule and everything. Mm -hmm. We quick turnaround on this recording. Even with us pushing it back a couple days, we're recording this pretty shortly after the last recording. So, yeah, I mean, it's still going to be the two weeks. We were just saying it was going to be one week. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I just movie mood has not quite come back to me. I guess this is the last thing I want to say before the before we get into the, the podcast. And I don't feel stressed about it. I'm like relaxed of it. But movie mode is just not returned to me as yet. I'm kind of gaming mode. I'm super duper comics mode. Um, it'll come around sooner or later, but, uh, you know, I'm just not movie mode yeah. right now. So I guess I'll say this here, but so there's like a bunch of movies on here and some of it is that I have had the impulse to be movie mode and a lot of it is like. I just want to watch a movie while we're, like, hanging out or whatever. Like, my family. Mm -hmm. We have a kid, so it's just been, like, a lot of kid-friendly Christmas movies most of the time. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's get started with the thing proper now. It's 
been a bad year and I don't think it's getting any better anytime soon. And I'm so scared of what is coming. I don't know what to do. I want to help. I want all of my friends not to be terrified. I need to understand and not give in to the anger that's inside.